two, one. Kevin Ross, bringer of gifts. <laughs> What's good, man? How you doing? <laughs> good to see you, brother. Thank good you very you much too. for that bag. Oh, you're very welcome. It's very cool. People, uh, I'll let you know, uh, Kevin brought a giant, heavy bag filled with sand that has to weigh north of 200 pounds. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I think it's about 250. <laughs> yeah. It was really a lot of fun getting that in my car by myself. Is that your preferred method for conditioning your shins? For sure. For sure. You know, the... The thing with con shin conditioning, a lot of people do, you know, they smack themselves in the shin with bottles and kind of stupid things like that. But yeah. you're, you're not really creating what you need to, which is uh, overall um, conditioning, um, overall strengthening of the, ner um, the bone. Um, all you're really doing is deadening little spots in your nerves, but that's the worst thing you can do without strengthening your bones. So you're deadening the nerves, but not strengthening the bone overall. And if you're mm. not doing that, you're going to think your bone's a lot stronger than it is, but it can't handle the impact. So with, with a sandbag, you're, you're, you're covering much more uh, surface area and, you know, applying it in a realistic situation where you're, you're able to throw kicks repeatedly at this thing. And what you, what you really want to do is do it to a degree that it's causing a certain amount of pain, but you're able to do this daily um, with with repetition because that's how you continually develop. Just like getting stronger at anything, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You got to just do this every day. Just at the end of your session, knock out a few kicks, and then again tomorrow, and again the next day, and you slowly and steadily are able to go harder and harder, and and and. and um, develop the strength and conditioning in your shins. So the idea is that you're making like these little tiny micro fractures, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, like I said, you want to be able to cover a good s surface area. So you're hitting it all at kind of at once as, as opposed to like little spots, which is mm -hmm. what happens when you just whack it with a bat right. or something like that. I, my experience with whacking it with a bat is everybody kind of quits. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm going to condition my shins. And then they just go, what the fuck am I doing? And they stop yeah. doing it. Well, the thing, too, with, with when you're able to kick like that is you can kind of slowly build up. You know, you start a little bit lightly and, and develop a little bit stronger. And you kind of create a little little bit of a crease. And, you know, uh, as you get going, you your brain can kind of wrap itself around it a little bit better. And then you start going harder and harder. And by the end of, you know, your five, 10 minute session, you're putting some serious weight into that and you're not, you're not, um, noticing it as much. Yeah. We were talking about your, your, um, knee that you had a, a fracture in your knee that you didn't realize you had. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's weird. Like the thing that disturbs me maybe the most in kickboxing. And so I've only seen it a few times is when someone checks a kick and their, their leg snaps in half. Yeah. Like Tyrone Spong when he fought mm -hmm. Gokan Saki or Anderson Silva when he fought Chris Weidman, same yeah. thing. That snap of when yeah. the, the, the shin gives out mm -hmm. like that. Can you prevent that from doing this? Obviously, it's one of those just freak things that happens. Yeah. You know, clearly with those guys, you can have the most conditioned shins in the world, but you catch them the wrong way mm -hmm. at the wrong time. It can happen, and it's rare, but it does happen, and it doesn't really matter how long you've been doing this, how strong your shins are. Sometimes things just break. I always wonder how many guys have little breaks, and they don't know about it, too. Probably a lot. Yeah. Probably a lot. Yeah. yeah. They said that's what happened with Anderson, uh -huh. that Anderson threw a kick, and he broke it before that. Yeah. Like, he felt something was wrong, and then when he threw that second kick, and it snapped in half, that's, mm -hmm. that's why it did that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Weidman was checking it perfect. He was checking it right at the top of his knee. Yeah, and you know that's a big thing with um, 
you know, fighting a lot of a lot of people tend to just blindly just pick their shin up, you know, as opposed to paying attention to where it is on your shin that it's hitting. Just just like when you're kicking, you need to pay attention to what piece of your leg you're hitting with, which piece of your shin you're checking with. And the higher up on your shin it is, the, the harder it's going to be. And when you're southpaw versus orthodox and throwing that inside leg kick, you're 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 coming up at an angle which is tends to be like low on your foot or your 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 ankle and then you're checking with high up by your knee so you have the smallest part of your shin connecting with the the hardest part of somebody else's and with that that's just the, the one that tends to do that yeah it's a shin on shin contact is such a brutal thing like i think everybody should experience it once yeah you know just crack i that yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know the funny thing is, it, it doesn't matter how long you've you've done this for you. We watch these fights and assume that they don't feel pain and that it doesn't bother them. But even guys with hundreds and hundreds of fights, you see them the next day and they're they're gimping around pretty good. Yeah, you know we have this idea in our brains that eventually you're going to get to a point when you just don't feel pain and it doesn't bother you, but. Eventually you realize that never happens, you know, and it's better to get that out of your head now, you know, Muay Thai yeah. and kickboxing and anything that's bone on bone is it's going to be painful. And that's part of the art of it. You learn how to place your kicks better and pay attention to what you're doing. And yeah, of course you, you, you develop uh, your shin conditioning and, and that kind of thing, but it always hurts. It's always going to hurt. It's such a brutally effective way to fight, and it's so interesting that Thailand perfected that. Yeah. It, I've, I've always been fascinated by that. Like, you know, mm. you think about the entire world, it's an enormous world, and people have been fighting in this enormous world from the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And this one island, they said, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a cultural thing over there. You know, mm -hmm. it's part of their upbringing. It's like, baseball over here or mm -hmm. soccer in other parts of the world where everybody kind of does it to one extent or the other and you know clearly if you're doing this from a, a time you're a child um, particularly when it's a, a job like it is for them over there and it's a uh, it's more than just for fun it's right. not for fun it's it's like this is how I survive it's this or working in the fields yeah. you know and and that completely changes their mentality about it. And that's why when you go there, it's like obviously the skill for sure, but but the mentality and their reasons for doing this, like it's so different. It's so different. Yeah, and they start so young and they're, they're, they're basically sent to these camps mm -hmm. and they start fighting like, you know, b before they're like 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes they yeah, start fighting. Yeah, a lot of these kids, you know, their, their families send them to these these camps and that's where they're raised you know they're raised in a gym to be fighters and to work for the gyms i mean that that's really what they're doing is they're working you know they're they're, they're getting money to send back to their families and they're not doing this for fun they're not doing this yeah. as a hobby i've always been fascinated by the way the thai spar as well because i think it's really interesting that given that they do fight so often and their livelihood depends on it and that it is not a game. Mm -hmm. They've really figured out a bunch of things. And one of the things they figured out is hit the pads hard, hit the bag hard, spar light. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's give and take to everything that we do and we're trying to maximize um, our learning and minimize the, the damage or the, 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 the risk of injury that we're taking. And... We have the opposite approach here in America, just beat the shit out of each other. And, you know, that's good. That's how you're going to get better. But you don't really develop when you're 
going hard like that. You're learning how to be tough and you're learning how to take damage and you're, you know, learning how to be in the fire like that, which is important, but you're not really developing. You know, when, you, when you're playing, when you're practicing, when you're not thinking about getting injured or knocked out, you're able to learn new, and apply new things and new techniques and, 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 and practice things that you normally wouldn't. It's like when, when you're worried about getting hurt, you're only going to focus on the things that you're really good at. You know, you're not going to try these different approaches. And that's what really limits a lot of our development. You know, a lot of, you see a lot of fighters, their, their ability kind of levels off at, to a certain degree and they don't, they don't continually develop as their careers go on. And they also don't last very long either because the amount of damage their their bodies and their brains are um taking you know each one of us only has a finite number of shots to the head we can take and, and shots to the body we can take and do you want to use those in the gym or do you want to use those in the ring um you know and it's, i think it's really about finding a good balance between that you know in the beginning all i did was just go crazy and spar super hard six days a week leading all the way up to the fight and in six a, days a week you were sparring hard really yeah yeah wow. and with guy i mean the smallest guy i had to work with coming up was probably 20 pounds bigger than me and you know in a lot of ways this helped me develop and, and gain a lot of strength and confidence and and ability to take that kind of punishment but it also did a lot of detrimental things a lot of stupid injuries a lot of damage you know over the years I've come to develop and get more onto the, the Thai approach of things and, and practice and playing and, and, you know, finding when the time to go hard is and when the time to, to learn and develop is and what's counterproductive and what isn't. How do you make that distinction? Like, how do you know when's the time to go hard? <laughs> you don't. You don't really. I mean, everything that we do is a process of trial and error, you know, and I think once you kind of understand that – you can think clearly and, and apply the things you need to in the midst of that firefight, which, which you know, is, is really what shuts a lot of people down in the beginning. They, they, they can't process the information that's happening because it's so intense. And, and that is why it's important to kind of have that and in, in have that fight-like situation scenario in, in the gym. But once you've done that and you've had the experience and all of that, I think it's, it's so much, so much more beneficial to start, going towards the other direction, especially if you want to stay in this sport for a, a, a good amount of time and, 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 and not take unnecessary damage for really no, no purpose whatsoever. Um, it should, to me, it should be the exception and not the rule, you know, like have those hard training sessions in once in a while, especially if you can get working with people that you're not used to. Cause, cause you know, obviously when you fight, it's, you don't know what they're really doing in there. And, um, it's like, working with a stranger and in the gym we we know each other so well that we tend to just work on those things and not practice um but but that's how we develop um, and if we're not doing that we're, we're really limiting ourselves it's got to be difficult to find the right balance in terms of like what gym you're training at mm -hmm. like where are you training at these days i'm down in san diego now i moved down there uh two years ago at the uh the boxing club Oh, is that uh, Artem? Yeah, yeah, Shiroshkin. Le yeah. Levin's place, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Levin was is there too. Um, Artem, um, Shiroshkin, the small Artem, he, uh, he, he 
we met almost 15 years ago. He was actually the janitor at this gym. Uh, j- had just moved from Russia, and now he, he owns three of them and um, is this uh, amazing gym owner and, and business person, which is it is just an unbelievably fascinating story that he has and an inspirational thing. And um, But, yeah, that's where I'm at n- now, and I kind of bounce back between um, San Diego and, and out here. Um, Gina lives out here, so I kind of go back and forth. Now, that place is... It's called the Boxing Club, right? Yeah. But it's Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. There's another gym out here called Boxing Works, which is, which is the one I train out in uh, Torrance. And same thing, it's, it's a Muay Thai gym. And, and both these gyms are, are Muay Thai and kickboxing related, yet they're boxing. Um, Why do they call it Boxing Works? Is it just to get people to join? I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I don't really know why that happened or how that happened. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic that both those places uh, are seemingly boxing gyms and they're not at all. What made you make the move down there? A lot of things. I, I'd always planned on ending up in San Diego. I mean, that's the one place. I love it down there. Yeah, and I've lived all over this country since, um, you know, I've moved all over the place since I was a little kid, and San Diego was just where I always planned I'd be one day. Um, I didn't think I'd move down there until I was done fighting, but through the process of a lot of things and, you know, transitions in my life, um, it was just kind of was the right time to go. It's the perfect balance because it's like a city, mm-hmm. but it's not a big city. Yeah. And it's got a lot of beauty. Mm-hmm. Like there's beautiful hills and the the ocean is beautiful. Like, but it's not that crowded. It's yeah. like, it's all right. I shouldn't even, even be talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when, I don't when, want people to move there. Once you go there, it's, it's tough to want to be anywhere else. Yeah. You know, the, the energy that's there, the, the, the way that people are, you know, you, you, you have all those, things that are in other cities but all everything that's perfect in in one place it's it's very unique in that sense i think there's a lot of positive aspects to the military presence there too Mm -hmm. because i think there's so many disciplined people down there yeah there's like a lot of health conscious fitness oriented and disciplined people yeah because of the fact there's such a giant military uh presence down there Mm -hmm. like there's so many people that are involved in the military and so many people that are involved in the military have a lot of discipline train a lot are interested in martial arts in particular. Yeah. You know, it's just, I think it flavors that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a wonderful place. I, I love it. But I yeah, love it. Yeah. Don't go there. The problem is the fucking drive. Woo. That drive. Yeah. Woo. Every time I work in San Diego, I leave here at like eight in the morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just like, let's, if I have to work there at night, I'm mm-hmm. like, let me just fucking get it out of the way. Yeah. Get that four hour drive out of the way early. Yeah. You know, if you like for me, if I leave at around 10, 10 30, I can usually get there in about two hours before traffic hits, but there's this really short window of time. But if you miss it, it's a rough one. Yeah, my friend Bill Burr takes helicopter down there. Yeah, well, he's we been don't taking know. helicopter lessons. We should all get some helicopters, and uh, <laughs> it'll be a lot easier to get around. Well, he doesn't have his own, but he uh, takes lessons. Yeah, and so uh, you know, he just hires one, mm-hmm. and he'll actually fly. And he has a the co-pilot who's like the you know flight instructor, uh-huh. explains everything to him, makes sure he's doing everything right. Yeah, and then you're down there in an hour. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you ever been in a helicopter? I haven't. They kind of freak me out a little bit. You know, it just, they just seem so sketchy. They're sketchy. Yeah. 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 But if they're well maintained, like anything else, mm-hmm. you know, he took me up in one and we flew over Van Nuys and over Mal. It was crazy flying over Malibu because we did it right after the fires. Oh, yeah. So you got to see all the houses that were burnt to the ground. Mm. Nuts, man. And like Point Doom. So these just huge estates that are probably worth $25 million just yeah. burnt to the fucking ground. It's like, and so many of them, man. Yeah. Malibu lost like 600 structures. 
That's wild, man. It's, it's hard to wrap your brain around the, the damage that was done. And then I saw this scale which showed, you know, what the California fires are and what the Australian fires oh, are. Oh, my God. And that's just... My friend Tom is there right now, and he said they had to divert his plane. He was supposed to fly into Melbourne, and they diverted it to Sydney because they couldn't fly through the smoke. Yeah. 70% of the country is covered in smoke. <sighs> And a good percentage of those fires were started by people yeah. just fucking around, like throwing cigarettes into the bush. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. They said half a billion animals are dead. Jeez. Yeah. That's terrible. It's insane. And they said that the koala bear, like so much of their habitat is destroyed. They're, they're in like grave danger. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, like it's a, like something about like 80% of their range has been destroyed. Jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, koala bears only eat like, I think they only eat eucalyptus trees. Yeah. That's all they eat, which yeah. is kind of fucked up. <laughs> just, they found what works. Yeah, they're they into they one thing. It. It's like a dude who only eats blueberries. Uh -huh. You know, like, bro, what if they run out of blueberries? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they can eat other things. Mm -hmm. I think that's like their digestive system has evolved to eat eucalyptus leaves. Yeah. 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 That's horrible. It's fucked up, man. When you look at the map of where the fires are, it's... It's crazy. It's like multiple. St if like it, it's like if we had like multiple states, like Texas, Wyoming, Nevada, all on fire at the same mm -hmm. time. That's what it's like over there. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It is. It. Yeah. Have you ever been when there's a fire here? Uh, not not close enough to uh, really feel like that, but but around and in even just them in the general area. I mean, you realize how quickly they they can spread and just take over everything and. and yeah, it's so devastating. I've been evacuated three times. Yeah, from where I live, and uh, this last one, the houses across the street from my house burnt to the ground. Jeez. Yeah, and then two houses down, one of those houses burnt down on my block. Ten houses are gone. Wow. Yeah, it's fucking nuts, man. I went to walk the dog today, and we're walking by these just empty lots where these people used to live. No, mm -hmm. you know, look, bright side, nobody died. Hopefully, everybody had insurance, but it's just, uh, it's humbling when you see it coming yeah. because everybody's like they're the, the firefighters are doing their best they're just mm -hmm. they're dumping water they're doing their best to create fire breaks and everything they can but there's nothing they can do yeah. it's so big i mean it was so big it was just coming over the top of the mountain you looked all the way to the left and all the way to the right just nothing but fire yeah. and these guys are just constantly circling over and dropping water down and doing their best but it's like it was crazy mm -hmm. and that was nothing compared to up north northern california yeah Northern California, people died on the fucking highway. They couldn't get yeah, out of the way of it. That was terrible, man. That was so bad. You know, I was up there probably about five years ago when these were going on, and they were just popping up everywhere. And, and there were some that were pretty close to the gym. And I'm having to, like, watch and see where they're at because they were close to the apartments we lived in. I'm like, we might have to, like, get out of here because they just pop all over the place and they hop from one place to the other with the wind and everything henry cejudo almost burnt to death mm -hmm. you know the story about him yeah. he had to jump out the window barefoot burnt the fuck out of his feet yeah like he didn't even know what was going on he was sleeping mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he, he's waking up he's like what is happening and he looks out the window and everything's on fire yeah. it, it got to him that quickly mm -hmm. scary shit man yeah. but it's really? it's the you know that's fucked up about it but we all had to go to, like, me and my neighbors um, and some friends of mine. We all uh, picked a hotel in town. We all went together. But there's, like, a weird camaraderie about when shit like that goes down yeah. where everybody was happy. <laughs> it's horrible that those things kind of happen and they yeah. really make you realize, like, what is important in yeah. life. And, 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 you know, it's the same thing, like, when you, when you travel overseas and go to third world countries, like, 
they seem to have a very good understanding of what life should and is about. And then right. we come here, we have everything. Everyone has everything and everyone's complaining yeah. about everything and we're miserable and, and we're, we're, we're spoiled. And that's that mentality, it's, it's so unfortunate. It's like the, the more you have, the more you have to complain about and forget what, what is important in this life. It's weird that it takes something like that to jar you. It's you should be able to learn from that and then carry that lesson. Yeah. But that lesson is like sand in your fingers, yeah. man. How how quickly <laughs> like after like nine eleven or eleven or things like that? Yeah. Like, how long does it last? Yeah. Not, and and such a traumatic thing like that. You know, we have, we have like a week or two of, of oh America, let's 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 get together and let's take care and love each other, and then I forgot. Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, to make a, an analogy with martial arts, one of the reasons why I enjoy being around martial artists and why most of my friends, a good percentage of my friends are martial artists, I, I feel like training all the time and getting humbled, mm -hmm. particularly in jujitsu, because you can get tapped out a lot and you, you know, you just train and you get tapped out and you keep going. It's not mm -hmm. like getting knocked out. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you can only get cracked in the head so many times in sparring but you you develop this kind of humility that is uh it's 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 everybody kind of understands it and there's this feeling that you get where you understand when when someone's trying to kill you all the time mm -hmm. like on a regular basis some dude's trying to choke the fucking breath out of you <laughs> and someone's got their arm wrapped around your neck like the rest of the world seems easier, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. I, I almost feel like human beings are engineered through, through evolution. We've, we've sort of been designed through natural selection to learn how to survive difficult things. Mm -hmm. And when the difficult things don't exist, we make things that aren't difficult, difficult. Yeah, very much so, very much so. You know, for me, I feel that training and martial arts and fighting and all of these things, it it clears the static and the noise out of your life and it, it allows you to focus on the things that are important and not be so distracted by fluff and nothingness yeah. you know and even a day or two of not training i like i feel that stuff seeping back in yeah. you know and it, it it it's 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 substantial you know and like i don't know how everyone's not running around shooting each other because just a few <laughs> days of not doing this i'm like i want to kill somebody because because I allow just the stresses of nothing to get it there. You to know? make this sound more consistent, just push that a little bit further. Just because it's, you're doing one of those <laughs> cigarette things like, hello, I don't have a voice. All right, how about that? That's perfect. All right. Um, how much longer do you think you're going to compete? I have no idea, man. How old are you now? I'll be 40 this year. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's the magic number. You know, the since the day I started, you know, I didn't start till I was 23. Yeah. And so uh, let's tell your story because it's a, <laughs> it's, an, it's a fascinating story because I love a guy whose life is fucked up and then he figures something out yeah. and then becomes a role model. And yeah. in a lot of ways, that's what you've done. Yeah, it's a long story. And I am, I'm actually in the process of writing my autobiography right now. Um, which I've been working on pretty consistently for the last five years. Something that, you know, I really was doing it for myself in a lot of ways to have an understanding of the things that I've been through and the things that I've learned and processed and acquired over these years, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been extremely rewarding doing all of this, but it's also been in very difficult, very painful and emotional going back through all of these 
things that happened to me in my childhood and my upbringing and things that I'm even to this day I'm still trying to process and understand a lot of and um where were we on all this <laughs> my story <laughs> yeah, well your story of not starting until you're 23 and before yeah. that too much partying yeah, yeah. so to summarize a lot of this you know I was, I was i grew up in a lot of different places moved around a lot you know my parents split up very early um me and my mother and three brothers four brothers sisters um you know, we basically lived in somebody's basement for in the beginning, and uh, we're living on welfare and bouncing around from place to place. And so much of that shut me down emotionally. And, and you know, when I was a kid, from what I'm told, I, I mean, I've, I've really not much recollection of my childhood because I've, I've blocked so much of this out. And that's why it's been really difficult for me to, to write this book because I don't really have many memories. I have almost no memories of that time in my life where I felt like a child, that carefreeness mm. of, of childhood. And I've had to, you know, talk to siblings and friends from back then and, and look through photo albums and slowly things start coming together. And, you know, that that's why a lot of this has been really therapeutic. But um, I always loved fighting. I always loved boxing and was very intrigued by it. And martial arts, you know, Bruce Lee was always a, a hero of mine. And uh, But I hated violence coming up i hated it but i was intrigued by it so one of a really good friend of mine uh, we lived in colorado for about a year or two he would get into fights on a weekly basis in school and i was fascinated by it and i'm like wow that like you're so brave and so strong <laughs> and i felt like such like a weak i was very allowed like w weakness to 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 um, overtake me throughout the, the the events of my life and I was very shy I didn't talk um, you know I was, I was always athletic and that kind of thing but but as far as confrontation and that I'd like it just shut me down and, and I didn't like it it upset me a lot you know when people would be angry with me and um, so it, I had this this strange dynamic where I was drawn to fighting and I was drawn to violence in one way but I also hated it a lot and was scared by it um, but, but over the years, you know, I thought about, I was like, oh, maybe I'll try boxing one day and that'd be really cool. You know, I was fascinated watching two people in the ring and, and all these people are watching and they're there with each other, regardless of their skill level. And, you know, just thinking about what, what it must be like in there to do that, you know, and, um, it fascinated me, but, but I, again, like I said, I, I love martial arts, so I wanted to be able to kick people. I want to be able to elbow people and knee people. And I never saw any fighting that was like that, you know, as I was coming up. I mean, you'd see Taekwondo and karate and a lot of point sparring and that kind of thing and forms. And, you know, even that I thought was, was fascinating, but I wanted to fight like boxers did. And um, I just never really saw anything like that. And one day, uh, 94... Um, this is right when we moved to Vegas. I was watching ESPN at like two in the morning, and they used to have Thai fights on once in a while. And this fight came on. I got oh, this next fight is a Muay Thai fight between so and so. And when that started, I was immediately hooked. It hit something in me that just like lit me on fire. I was like, this is everything that I've been looking for. This is something so different, and it just spoke to my soul. Um, and, and it fascinated me. And I was like, if I am ever going to do this, that's going to be it. It's going to be Muay Thai. 
but you know for various reasons um it scared me <laughs> one i didn't know how i'd be able to afford it um, i didn't know if my parents would even let me and you know coming up the way i did i was partying and drinking all the time um even at that i mean i started drinking when i was like 12 years old holy shit yeah and by the time i was probably 18 i was physically dependent alcoholic i had to drink every day in order to keep my nerves from shaking my my, really? my hands would 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 tremor how much um, were you drinking a lot a lot every day i would drink every day I would like drink. all day all, um throughout the day a little bit at night i would just be pounding 40s fuck constantly you know and, and that's all that's all that i did i uh that's all me and my friends did was we would just drink we would drink every day and uh it was how, very, did, you, how did you wean yourself off that <sighs> Starting Muay Thai is what what um, what did it. I um, as I said, I, I I learned about it in '94. Over the years, every once in a while, I'd see a fight and I'd be like, oh, I, oh, I want to do this so bad. And in '98, I actually started calling around gyms in Vegas. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to find a place to do this. And for me, it was one of those things where if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right, and I, I want to do it to fight. And if I'm going to do a two fight, I'm, what is the, the, the fastest way to get there? And I was like, I need to take one-on-one -on -one lessons. I need to, um, I wanted to learn from a tie, you know, and that was not to say, you know, like Americans or anybody else can't, can't teach it. But I was like, if, if you're going to learn it, you might as well learn it from the source. And the only place in Vegas that taught Muay Thai, one of the only places that even taught Muay Thai and, the, and definitely the only place that had Thai instructors was Master Toddy's gym. And I called the gym, um, you know, went down and talked to uh, one of the instructors. And when he let me know how expensive it was going to be, I was like, there's just no way. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And, and for me, I also knew that if I am going to go after this, I'm going to need to stop drinking, stop partying, completely alter my entire existence. I'm probably going to lose all my friends. Um, everyone's going to laugh at me. I, I didn't even know how serious I took myself. You know, I was like, I laugh at me when I say this, you know, like it's, and if you knew me back then, you'd probably laugh too. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean you're going to fight? Are you stupid? That's the stupidest <laughs> thing I could ever think of. And, um, one of my best friends, Mo, he, um, for whatever reason, this one night we were up on the roof drinking and smoking weed and, he, we got to talking just about life, and he was actually born with um, a heart defect. I can't remember the exact name of uh, the disease that he had, but he was in and out of hospitals his whole life. He was eventually going to need to get a heart transplant. And uh, he's like, what do you want to do with your life? You know, I looked at him like he was asking me what, uh, what I want to do when I got to the moon. I'm like, what do you mean what do I want to do with my life? And then he's like, I was like, well, I always wanted to fight. And expecting him to laugh at me about this, he was like, well, why don't you? Like, why don't you do it? And, you know, I told him, well, well, I feel old already. I was 18 at the time. I already felt ancient then. You know, and I told him all my reasons and all my fears and doubts and, and all these things. He's like, you know what, man? He's like, if anybody can do it, you can. He's like, I think you should. And, uh, and that really, that always stuck with me. I was like, yeah, maybe I can. And, and in that moment, you know, I felt very motivated and, and wanted to do it. But by, you know, continuing to drink and all these other things, I just put it, suppressed it into the back of my mind and then about a year later um he was in the hospital and um he needed to get a heart transplant and they basically he was basically at that point was like you're gonna be here until you get one or you're gonna die and you know i don't think any of us realized how 
serious it was, or maybe we just didn't want to. He ended up passing away um, while he was waiting for the transplant. And that just obviously devastated me to, 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 to no end. And through that night, through my drunken coping, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go after this dream. You know, my friend, he didn't even get a chance to fail at a dream. And I'm too scared to even try for no reason, just out of fear. That, that's literally my only reason not to do this other than, you know, financial and all those other um, surface things. But it really just boiled down to fear. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm going to go after this for him. You know, he didn't get a chance to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for the both of us. But, you know, unfortunately, his, his death sent me even harder down that downward spiral of alcohol and depression. And three years later, I, um, I just had a realization one day. I was like, if he was still alive, he'd beat the fuck out of me for wasting my life. I've been wasting my life for 21 years because I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid and I'm, I'm, I'm too afraid to fail. I'm too afraid of all these stupid reasons that, that all of us give ourselves in order to make ourselves feel better about not going after things. But really, they're just, that, they're just that. They're just excuses. They're just things that make you feel better. And they're bullshit. They're all bullshit. Almost every excuse we have is total bullshit because there's people with those excuses and with all those reasons and more, and they're able, and they do it. And like, what is your excuse? And it just, it just smacked me in the face one day. And I, I, I was at that point when I could not ignore it any longer. And this was going into um, 2003. Uh, so I was like, made it my New Year's resolution to do this. And, um, you know, one night I, I was sitting down with my father and we'd have these, we'd, he'd get into these long talks with me because I was always very quiet and he'd, he'd like take me off to the side and his way to kind of talk to me and get to know me better. And he's like, so why don't you tell me something you've never told anybody? You know, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, well, what can I, like I killed somebody when I was little and I'm like, <laughs> like, like racking my brain what I could possibly tell him. And, uh, you know, that, that kept replaying in my mind. You want to fight, you want to fight, you want to fight. And, um, I very like quietly was like, oh, I want to fight one day. And he's like, what? He's like, I want to fight. And he's like, what do you mean you want to fight? And, you know, I told him and he's like, well, why don't you? And I told him all these reasons. He's like, well, I cannot help you with all of your fears and doubts in this, but look, I'll make a deal with you. If you quit drinking and dedicate yourself to this, I'll take care of um, every all the financial things in order for, to let you do this. And I was like, he's like, we got a deal? And I was like, all right, yeah. And he's like, he points down, I was drinking a 40 at the time. He's like, what about that drink in your hand? And I was like, well, I was going to start tomorrow, so, you know, I don't want to, you know, maybe I can finish this. All right. But, you know, I, I understood even at that age, like, you can't put things off like that. It's like, you're going to do yeah. it. If you're serious about it, you're going to do it now. So I dumped out the rest of the 40 and the, the sink he had in there. And two days later, I got into the gym. And uh, Was it hard to wean yourself off the alcohol, though, if you were physically dependent on it? It was, it was both extremely difficult yet i was so focused on this goal that none of those i i i had to overcome so much not just the physical dependency on alcohol but but my lifestyle and, and change so many things but i'd been putting this off for so long that 
I knew there was there was no time for me to to waste. You know, I was so focused on this that like once I made that switch in my mind, like I'm gonna go after this, and there's nothing that's gonna stop me. And I've wasted so many years already that everything I'm doing is is gonna be playing catch up. You know, the, there's no way for me to get to like I'd look at you know that like Sunshine guys like that, and I'd be like. I'm never going to get there. So everything that I do has to be to get me closer to this goal. And I can't allow, you know, my physical dependency or my doubts or any of these things slow me down because everything I'm doing, I have to play catch up, you know, and um, having that, that focus allowed me to, overcome all of those those physical and emotional and mental challenges and of course that's not to say it was easy it was extremely difficult it was extremely difficult but it was you got two choices you know you can you can allow these things to slow you down and hinder you and weaken you or you can say i'm gonna go forward anyway it doesn't matter how afraid i am it doesn't matter how hurt i am it doesn't matter how tired i am this is what i want and I'm going to put everything that I have into this. So that way, when I'm done, when my, when my life is over, when I can't do this anymore, I can look back and have no regrets that I didn't allow these things to slow me down. I didn't allow the excuses that we all have hinder me and keep me from doing this, you know, because one day we're going to wake up and realize we could have gone after these things and, we didn't because of X, Y, and Z, but really those things aren't, aren't anything, you know. Do you stop and think about those moments when you first started this? Because that's a profound life shift, yeah. right? To go from being a guy who's kind of aimless and partying a lot, but knowing that you should do something with your life to finally doing something. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it like when you finally started training? What, what did it feel like? When you actually, because you hadn't, had you done anything athletic before that? You know, I was, I was always athletic my whole life. I I was always really good at sports. I hated, I hated the team aspect of things though. Mm. I despised being on a team of any kind. I I love playing sports for the, for the love of it, you know, but anytime I was on like a team, I just hated it. I despised it. And, you know, by the time I was like, I think 12, I completely turned my back on anything team related because I felt to me, it felt like it just ruined all the beautiful things about the physicality of, of athletics. You know, it put this, 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 it, it, it hindered me in a lot of ways, you know, and mm-hmm. having to rely on other people, you know, was always a big thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter how hard I work because, this person might not have worked at all. Right. And, you know, that's why I was so drawn to fighting because it's, it's, even though you do have a team, of course, it really is, everything is on you, the good and the bad. There's nothing you can point, you can point to all these other things, but it's really just you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think back and I look back to that time. And What uh, was the first day like? It was. Do you it, remember? Yeah, yeah, I do. It was, um, so I started out just doing private lessons. I didn't even start doing classes until maybe six months to a year. So I was, I was doing private lessons on a daily basis. My uh, trainer, uh, Master Chan, who's one of uh, Tati's original instructors, 
he had me in the gym at like 6 a.m. So this is January in Vegas, which is brutally cold, which, you know, a lot, not a lot of people realize. And their gym had no heat. All the windows were like broken. So there's no insulation or anything. And, um, I don't know. I, I was, I was just, I was, I was so excited. You know, I was so nervous, and you know, obviously, I wanted to do really well and, and perform. And everything was just, everything was so new that I didn't really, I didn't really have a lot. Um, I couldn't even really process it. So there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't really a lot of thought that was going into it. I was just, I was just excited. I was just ex- constantly excited and motivated, and wanted to. My whole goal was to fight. You know, I was like, I want to fight, even if it's only one time. So everything I did was with that mentality. You know, I was like, I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to do everything that I can at every moment. And I put every ounce of myself into every second of the day was geared towards this. You know, it was singularly focused on this goal. Can you remember the first day? Yeah. Can you remember the first day of footwork and yeah. holding oh, your man. hands so, up? <laughs> the first day. The first day he has me up in the ring it must have been maybe the second or third day because um there was i know there was other people there and that maybe they were just hitting the bag and stuff so there there was a couple of the other pro fighters there or other they were pro fighters i was nobody and i'm up in the ring and so this is day one he's like shadow box i'd never done anything fighting related i'm like what do you mean like i don't even know what that is you know what i'm saying like what do you mean shadow box so like so much of my everything in my career has been like thrown into the deep end can you swim kind of thing and like this forced learning curve you know i didn't get babied into anything you know it's like all right shadow box go ahead and everyone all these fighters are like staring at me watching me i'm like I don't know what I'm doing, but whatever. You know, it was, it was it was it was traumatic in a lot of ways. But having to confront that and face that, particularly me, because I'm naturally a very shy person, a person that doesn't speak ever to anybody. I mean, even now, you know, I'm still very quiet. But if you knew me back then, I was basically a mute. You know, and I had no interaction with especially strangers and people I didn't know. And even the ones that I do, I'd still barely even communicate with. So all of this was so foreign to me. This was like an alternate universe that I was in. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was so scary, but it was like, you don't have a choice, like (laughs) get up there and do it or get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? So there wasn't, there wasn't time for me to really think about it or, 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 or like, even be really nervous about it. It's like, do it. Shadowbox. Like, and, and, and this instructor, he barely spoke English. So it's not like I can like say, Hey, well, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And maybe you can show me <laughs> some things. Just like go. And that's very much a, a, a Thai approach. It's like, just do it. I'm not going to tell you how I'm not going to explain the steps. Just go kick the bag or, or hit it. Just do it. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was scary. But then once, you got some momentum once you had a couple of weeks under your belt mm-hmm. and this started becoming a real normal part of your life. What was that feeling like where you realized like, Hey, I'm fucking actually doing this. Like yeah, it's, this yeah. is actually happening. Well, every day, every day I was taking significant jumps. I mean, I, as I said, I've always been uh, naturally athletic. So I was picking this up like 
quick, really quick. I mean, even within a few weeks, people thought I'd been doing it for years. Um, you know, and a lot of that, uh, you know, does come from my, uh, physicality, but, but, um, my drive to do it and, and to, to, to have my sights set so high, um, that, uh, you know, I was taking these quantum leaps every single day. Um, so over, over the weeks and over the months, you know, it just, it really felt like I was like, oh, I'm on, I'm on track, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the path I should be on. I'm going to, I'm going to be amazing at this. You know, this, this is great. I'm, I'm natural at this, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be a champion one day. I'm going to just be crushing people. And, uh, you know, everything, everything was pointing in that direction, you know, with my, my development and, you know, started, uh, eventually going into the classes and sparring and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, it was always like, when do I get to fight? When do I get to fight? When do I get to fight? And uh, I think it was nine months in, I finally got, uh, I got to fight. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is, this is my moment. You know, I'm going to go out there, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush this dude. And then I'm going to be, uh, you know, on my way to, 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 to the big time. Not that there, even, you know, back then, there's no big time. There was no, this wasn't, this was before YouTube. This is before anyone even knew what Muay Thai was. You know, you had to tell everybody you did kickboxing, basically, which yeah. just crushed my soul every time <laughs> every time I'd say well it's like kickboxing and you know for muay thai people to have to say that is it's devastating it's like uh someone say well it's like karate you know what i mean which, which no disrespect to any of these other arts but but to say that it's that in order to help people you know, most of the time i would just say yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's like kickboxing and <laughs> instead of having to explain to them what it is and um yeah, so nine months in, I got the. Uh, there was going to be a fight in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, a bunch of, of the other people at the gym were fighting as well, and we were all going to go up there um, and compete. Is this an amateur fight? Yeah, yeah. And, headgear? Um, n- n- no. Yes, headgear, but you know, the funny thing was we had headgear, but we didn't have shin guards. We had eight ounce gloves, and we had knees to the head. Really? Which was a trip. So, um, anyway, so so I was like, oh, yeah, great. We get to fight. And, and I was so excited. And um, my pops and uh, Gina and we uh, we drove up there. And, um, you know, like I said, I really felt like I was on my way. But when we got there, um, the guy that I was originally supposed to fight, I don't remember if he backed out or it was just that he was closer in weight to somebody else. Um you know, and that was kind of the thing back then. We would just show up at places and be like, you got to fight for me or don't you? And um, they didn't. And um, I was like, oh, my God, I was devastated. I was devastated. I'm like, I did all this work. I was so ready. And now I don't have a fight. And, you know, my trainer's like, well, is, is there somebody else you can get? And so the, 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 the promoter, you know, he's calling around, calling around. And then he finally he's like, um, well, there's one guy that's going to take it, but – he outweighs you by 20 pounds, and he's had about 30 fights already. <laughs> I was like, let's do it. I don't give a fuck, man. I was like, I didn't do all this for nothing. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and again, that like that was just our mentality. The way that we came up and the people that we came up under was you fight anytime, anywhere, anyone, any style, any weight. It doesn't matter. And um, so, yeah, I didn't even... I didn't even really think about it as far as like that goes, you know, it's like I get to fight. That's a fucking awesome, man. And, uh, I felt, I felt 
I felt confident in a way, but it's also that you have no idea what you're really doing. Like you can train your whole life, but if you've never fought, you don't know anything, anything. You have no concept of what it's like to be in there. You have the hardest sparring in the world with, with complete stranger. And it's night and day between a real fight and sparring. And so it's like, yeah, you, you, you want to feel confident going in there, but you have no concept of, of what it is. So it's really just fake. It's fake confidence. And, um, I got fucking crushed, man. So I got there and, uh, I, uh, you know, I have no concept of uh, like pacing myself or anything. So I just like, I'm like sprinting at this guy. And in like 30 seconds, I was just done. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. I couldn't, I could barely even see. Felt like, felt like I was underwater. Um, and it was, it was, it was the, it was the worst thing in the world because nothing this guy was doing was hurting me. And every time he'd hit me, the whole crowd's like, oh, and all I wanted to do was just say, it, it's, it's not bothering me. This isn't hurting. Like I wanted to like tell everybody, like this isn't hurting <laughs> me. I, I can't breathe. Like all I'm really trying to do is not pass out right now. And, and I, I, I mean like physically I, I couldn't do anything, but, but I was able to last for a while and you know, do a couple decent things in there. But by the third round, he was just battering me, kneeing me in the face. And, you know, he did, he just kept clenching me up and was just kneeing the piss out of me. And there was nothing I could do. And they, they finally stopped it in the third round. And I was, I was devastated, man. I was, I was devastated. And I remember walking, like as I was walking back to the, the locker room, Everyone in the crowd was like cheering for me and like, oh, that was awesome, man. Like, like, good job, good job. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Like, that wasn't good. That was so terrible. That was terrible. And um, I was like laying in the back. I'm bleeding all over the place. And uh, my opponent comes in. He's like, dude, that was your first fight? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I hate to see you in like a year or two. He's like, that was, that was amazing. And, you know, that really, that really stuck with me, you know, that, that one that he said that. And also just the the impact I saw that you could have on people that, that it's not necessarily about whether you win or lose that it's what you show in there. It's the heart that you show. It's the, the spirit that you show. And, um, you know, I, I had like a day or two when I was like, maybe this just isn't for me. You know, I thought, I thought that this, that I was going to be so good at this. I thought that I was just going to like skyrocket to the top and I got, crushed man i didn't even make it out of the fight and like maybe this isn't for me but i was forced to face that day one like do you want to do this regardless of how good you are regardless of you win if you if you can't win and maybe you can't be the best in the world do you still want to do this yeah i fucking do i love this so much and me having to face that so early on was 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 extremely significant i saw so many of the people i trained with would go on these undefeated streaks like 10 15 20 fights but inevitably you will lose and if you haven't had to confront that early on eventually you do most of those people never fought again or, or just like crushed them mentally where they weren't able to overcome it but i had to deal with that the first day and overcome it and be like you know what that doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to bust my ass in the gym and don't make sure that never happens again. And I went on to win like 19, 20 fights in a row from there. And, you know, that was really, um, a significant moment in my career where I had to confront the, the reality of this. And, you know, that so much of, of fighting is, 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 is a 
perfect metaphor for, for, for things in life. Like if you really want something, you can't always focus on what the results are or the immediate results, like winning and losing and all of these things are so much of that is just on the surface ego level of things. Yeah. And when you break it all down, like what is your, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this to improve myself. I'm doing this because it's what keeps me healthy um, mentally, physically, spiritually, and all of these things. And that's the most important thing. And yes, it was an extreme motivator to be better and, you know, not to let that have happen to me again. But, um, you know, really, it really uh, made things clear to me early on, like what's important here. Also, just to get over that it's so it's so psychologically important that you like you were saying you just kept getting sort of tossed to the wolves yeah. everything you did was difficult it was almost symbolic yeah. of your journey that you were forced to fight someone who had 30 fights and 20 pounds heavier yeah. when you had no experience the, the trusting the process is you really only trust the process if you, it's difficult. Yeah. You know, that whole expression, trust the process. Well, if you're fucking everybody up, what do you mean trust the process? <laughs> you're out there just fucking everybody up. Of course I'm trusting the process. I'm the man, yeah. right? But when you get your ass handed to you and then you have to rebuild and you have to realize, well, there's a series of variables that you're, you're encountering, variables in speed and in, in aggressiveness and in styles and in trickery. And some people are better than others at figuring you out. And some people have a style that's tailor-made to defeat your style. Mm -hmm. And it's good when that does happen. Yeah. And not just to trust the process, but to uh, appreciate the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people, they just want success. Mm -hmm. Well, we all want success. Yeah. Of course, we all want, we always want things to be good. It's, it's kind of that same mentality of, you know, like you want to give your kids what you never had. But a lot of times when you do that, you end up with a spoiled brat who has no yes. concept of work ethic and right. what it really takes. And you're hindering them even more so than, than you were because you had to like confront all of these things. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's unfortunate that so many things that you would think would help us or really hurt us in the end. And it needs to be difficult. It needs to be a struggle. And of course you want help along the way, but the, the harder you have to work that in the long run, the stronger you're going to be, the better you're going to be, the more independent you're going to be, the, the more self-sufficient you're going to be. And all of these things are, are um, going to better you. So then in a lot of ways, it's like, maybe I should make my kid's life hell. And then he's going to be really <laughs> strong and he's going to be an entrepreneur and he's going to change the world. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, I have children. It's uh, it's tricky. I think you don't want them the, to have a hard life, but you do. The, one of the most difficult things, too, is we're all on our own journey. And what's beneficial for one is detrimental to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's good to have advice. It's good to have somebody that believes in you. But that's not necessarily going to help you just because sometimes that might end up hurting you, you know, having yeah. people that do believe in you and telling you how great you are and, you know, opening doors for you and, mm -hmm. and all of these things, you know, in, in, in many ways, those things can be extremely detrimental and you don't, you don't develop the things that you inevitably will need in the long run, you know, and there's no, there's no one way to get anywhere. You know, it's, it's, there's, it's so complex and there's so many variations of things that, 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 that apply to success in anything. 
I have one favorite day in the weather in Los Angeles. The weather in Los Angeles is perfect, right? It's just so often it's like 80 degrees and sunny. It's like 90% of the time, 80 degrees and sunny. Uh, me and my friend Brian and uh, my friend Steve Ranella, we, we uh, filmed this television show called Meat Eater and went on a hunting trip in Prince of Wales Island in Alaska where it's the rainiest part in North America. Mm. It's so fucking rainy. You, you think you're going to stay dry in your tent, but there's no such thing as dry. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I realized this one of the first nights I had to get up to take a piss in the middle of the night and I had a headlamp and I turned my headlamp on and inside my tent was like it was raining <laughs> because it was so much, there was mist, yeah. it was moisture, like so much moisture that turning on the headlamp was like, you, you were like doing it in fog, like everything was wet. My yeah. sleeping bag was wet, my clothes were wet, and I was like, oh, you don't, you don't get dry, there's no dry. We had one day where we had a fire. Uh-huh. One day we figured out how to start a fire, actually using Fritos. There's a pro tip. If you ever fucking, <laughs> Fritos are made with some fucking crazy toxic grease that uh, they work great mm. as lighter fuel. Uh. Like if you light them, they mm. stay lit for a long time. Mm. And then we were like taking like the inside of logs and like using that wood and wood that was like maybe uh, under the bottom of other wood so it didn't get as wet. We mm-hmm. slowly put a fire together. Anyway, I was there for six, seven days. We got back to LA and it was 80 and sunny. And the feeling of that sun, I was like, this mm-hmm. is the same sun I always experience. But it's always just, n- n- you know, it's normal. It's no big deal. It's just California weather. Yeah. Another day in paradise, but not that day. Yeah. That day I was like, fuck, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I was driving on the street. My face felt good. Like everything, it felt good. And I called my friend Steve up. I go, dude, I've never been happier. Like this is like the happiest day I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I think it's because we were suffering in just cold and rain mm-hmm. for seven days. Yeah. You're like, you need that. Yeah. Otherwise, because if you just have these goddamn sunny days, you're like everybody out here in California. You're mm-hmm. just spoiled baby. <laughs> well, it's like the, uh, if everybody's winning, nobody's winning. Right. Nobody's losing, nobody's losing. So if you don't have the good and the bad, you don't even understand, you can't appreciate the good or or what the bad can be, the, yes. the, the helpful things that it does. And yeah. yeah, we don't want that, but but those are the things that help you grow and those are the things that, 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 that we inevitably need. Um, you know, I, uh, I hate to, well, I don't hate to because I, I want to do this. I'm going to toss a little hand grenade at you and uh, see what you want to do with it here. But um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and, and, you know, wanting to communicate my story and these things that have happened to me. And then this opportunity came up and this opportunity to, to reach a lot of people and to, there's that quote that says, be the person that you needed when you were younger, mm. you know, and, and Gina has that on her wall and it stares me in the face every day. And I realize that I now am the person that I needed when I was younger. And if somebody would have opened up their mouth and let me know that I wasn't alone and that, that I wasn't so isolated and so many so many horrible things that we all deal with is because we feel isolation. We don't think anyone could understand and we don't think that anyone else is going through these things. And, and if we did, just that knowledge of not being alone would be so significant. But when I was 14 years old, I was molested by my stepmother and 
this went on for uh, well over a year, close to two years. And it was obviously detrimental to me. And these are, these, these are things that I'm just now finally starting to be able to understand and, and, and realize like what happened to me and, and realize how young I was at the time. You know, when I meet a 14 year old kid, like you're fucking baby. You're a baby. You, you know, it's like when we think about ourselves when we were younger, like at least myself, I'm like, I still feel the same I did when I was younger. I was just little. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but you don't really understand how little you were until you have like a little 12, 14-year-old kid standing next to you. Like, you're not, like, you don't even, how could, how could that happen? And like thinking about how, I saw a study that said one in six males are abused by the time they're 18, which means every one of us probably knows somebody that this has happened to, you know, and to think how devastating it is uh, to women. Um, but, but, but to our men, it's, 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 it's such a different thing because you're almost, it's almost viewed, uh, well, when it happens from a, a, a woman, you know, it's, it's almost viewed as like a good thing. You yeah, know, like it's a positive thing. Like, oh, I wish that happened to me when I was a kid. Like, I want to, I want to be molested, and um, you know, we're not able to really understand it um, and, and understand the the damage that it that it does. And and you know, I, I I I if I wouldn't have felt so alone and 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 so isolated at the time, I you know, I don't necessarily know if things would have changed but i definitely would have wouldn't have felt so alone you know i wouldn't have felt like there's nobody in the world that could possibly understand this there's nobody that who can i talk to about this you know like i can't talk to my friends a couple of my friends knew they thought it was the coolest shit ever you know they're like i want that i want that bad and i'm like well it was your stepmom too which is dude it was it was <sighs> so confusing you know I was, I was i was very conflicted by it you know like i couldn't understand it at all and then to have this person like man mentally manipulating me and making like oh it's not a big deal it's okay it's almost like it's a good thing you know like it's like there's nothing wrong you know it's it's um you know i'm not a stranger and and this, um, you know, even prior to the, as I said, I started drinking when I was 12, but, but this really just derailed me so much and made me internalize and put up these barriers and walls around me and, and things that I'm, I, like I said, I'm only even just in, at this age starting to understand like the negative habits that this created in me um of, of distrust and of 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 of, of negativity and of, of of um you know having to be having to be alone and not trust people and, mm. and you know and, and so many things like that that you know like gina's probably the only person that i've ever talked to in depth about this i mean my couple of people in my family know and almost none of my friends know. i've never spoken to this to anybody you know, I, 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 I try to uh, 
go to a therapist once and, and, and talk about this, but I started realizing like this therapist is getting more out of this, our, our interaction than, than I am. Like he's, you know, like a overweight person that needs like self-confidence help. I'm like, Oh geez, man. Like, like who can I fucking talk to about this? And you know, maybe, maybe I can't talk to anybody, but I am in a position to where I can reach out and, and let other people let know that they're not the only ones going through this. And, and that has been weighing on me so much lately, especially over the last few years. Um, and I'm like, you are in a position to be able, even if you, it only helps one person, like you can, you just don't know how to, I'm like, well, I could write about it or I could do like a video blog or something. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I'm like, how do I, how can I do this? And like, should I do this? I'm like, I don't know if that's like a good thing. Like, uh, I'm, it's not like I'm a like psychologist or someone that can like help with this. And, but I, I, I just felt like I need to express this and, 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 and communicate this. And then maybe it can do some good for even one person. And then if I didn't, I, that would haunt me forever. I, uh, I had an experience when I was 13 with a girl who lived up the street who was 21 a, cu a couple times, but um, it was very different than your experience. It was, uh, I mean, I'm ashamed to say it. It was kind of fun. You know, it's, it was different. It was, I couldn't believe it. It was very mm. weird. Yeah. But it definitely, like, kind of screwed up my idea of what, boy girl interaction was yeah. i didn't go from like 13 year olds most of the time they're like you want to kiss i don't know do you i don't know yeah to you know this girl grabbing my dick and <laughs> pulling her tits out she was a woman you know yeah. she was 21 yeah. and it didn't it didn't hurt me like your story like your story hurts like it sounds like you were betrayed and you were you were and also the, the fact that it was your stepmom i mean with me, it was like, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, I didn't tell anybody for like fucking years and years later. I probably didn't tell anyone until I was in my twenties. Uh -huh. And uh, I think I probably told a girlfriend when I was in my twenties. Yeah, and she was like, when, when was the first time you ever fooled around? I was like, well, because <laughs> you know, that was really the first time I had ever fooled around with anyone. Was this twenty-one-year-old yeah. woman? I, who had a, it was the same thing for me. You know, I, I I didn't even kiss a girl until I was. <sighs> I don't know, 12, 13, like late, late. Because yeah. I was such a shy person. So I went from just kissing to that. I there think, was no in between. I think the same with me. I think, I, I don't even think I kissed. I think I kissed her. Yeah. I think she was the first person I kissed. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, to uh, just have your innocence ripped away like that and to be thrust into this adult thing um you know obviously the situation was that much worse um it being you know my stepmom and it being uh um being molested and um you know it, it, it it's such a different thing than a woman or being raped forcefully raped oh it's way different yeah but psychologically and emotionally you know it's 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 devastating it is it it is obviously and you were rape. living with her as well? Yeah. You yeah. Know, so that's, the whole thing is terrible. And you said it went on for a year? 
longer than a year. It was probably close to uh, two years. How did it stop? I stopped it, actually. You know, this was... This was something, you know, I never, obviously, I never felt right about this. I was very conflicted by it, you know, and I was like, this definitely isn't a good thing. Uh, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, and I, did, I definitely, I didn't understand how bad of a thing it was, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and again, she was very manipulative. And, and you know, anytime I would kind of uh, bring that subject up, like, yeah, I don't think this is okay. You know, this is, that's, this feels wrong. And she'd be like, no, no, you know. And find this way to, uh, you know, rationalize it or, or make it okay. And, you know, but as time went on, like, I just like, this is bad. How yeah. old was she? She was probably 30, young 30s. You know, now that, that was another thing. Like once I got to that age and then I saw a 14 year old, I'm like, what the fuck? Like yeah. I didn't even, I couldn't even conceptualize how twisted this person was until I got that age. Mm. Like how could you, how could you look at a baby, a child and, and do that? How could you do that? You know, the expression hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And you know, yeah. and, 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 and unfortunately a lot of that for me is helps you like rationalize it and make it uh, like, oh, well, you know, she's fucked up. And, you know, even even my father, you know, after he found out, like he kept this lady around for a while. Really? Yeah. After he found out? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they kind of split up and divorced, but but um, they kind of worked together still. And, and, you know, he kept her around for, for quite some time. And, you know, that alone was extremely damaging to me. And, and A betrayal. Such a betrayal and such a such a traumatic thing that I didn't even really understand how damaging that was after the fact until really till recently, you know, because I myself would rationalize it. Well, you know, he didn't want to like like be an asshole and like send her off. And like she was an alcoholic too, and you know, you know, he was like, oh, you know, he's just trying to, you know make this horrible situation like okay for all of us and you know i didn't really think about like how fucked up he was in the whole situation and like how how much more damaging it was in the long run to me by not having my father protect me like if my this happened to my child i would fucking murder a woman that did this you know i, I certainly wouldn't keep her around you know and i certainly wouldn't um like just handle it handle it the way that he did you know and that was that was almost it magnified the the damage that much more so because of the way that it was handled you know and to not have that to not be taken care of by adults by not be taken care of by my father by the people around me that who are supposed to love me and take care of me and 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 they did the exact opposite like they fucked fucked my world up, you know, and I I, I put band-aids of alcohol on it my whole mm. life, you know, and, and and I understand like why I why I did that and, and why it was I mean I really was trying to kill myself, really. I mean when you look at it, that's what I was doing. I was just doing a long process of it. You know, and that's, that's, that's what we do. It's like, we don't want to take a gun and kill ourselves, but I'm going to, I don't want to really live. 
and I want to like I want to check out of this place uh, the sooner the better. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen, and that way I can't say I killed myself, but I was killing myself every day and putting myself in situations that were extremely dangerous and uh, detrimental and, and damaging, and uh, that's what I was doing, and, and, and you know half of my life was I was just destroyed and you know I'm trying to use this uh, second part of my life to make up for that make up for um, the damage that was done and, and to try to turn a horrible situation in a negative situation and something that I could easily point to and, and allow destroy my life, which is what I was doing um, and trying to do the opposite. You know, it's, again, with the, the, the fight approach, it's like you have a loss, you have a horrible thing happen, you have an injury. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to let it destroy you and break you and never do this again and, and be depressed and bitch and complain and whine about it? You're going to say, yeah, shitty things happen to all of us fucked up things happened and we all have the excuse to let it destroy our lives and to use it to uh, uh, make ourselves feel better about uh, mm, drinking and drugs and, and just being an asshole and you know like we all have reasons to be dicks and we all have reasons to um, you know take it out on other people but that doesn't mean that you should, and that doesn't mean that you don't still have a choice. It's that victim mentality. And that, this is something that I, I just, just started understanding because, you know, that, that term victim mentality, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a fucking victim. But what victim mentality really is is feeling like you don't have a role to play from that point. Yeah, you might not have been able to control these terrible things that have happened to you, but you do have control over what you do from there. You have control over whether you use that to go into a more positive light or you use that to to drastically damage you and, and you know, be this burden that you carry. Well, sometimes I think when someone like you goes through something like this and comes out on the other end, what you can do by talking about this can set a path for so many people to understand that, you know, when someone looks at you, you know, they see you fighting on television and they, 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 they see you on the internet and, you know, successful Muay Thai fighter and, you know, you look cool, you have this beautiful girlfriend, everything seems so positive. You know, when you're a young kid and your life is shit, mm -hmm. like mine was, clearly like yours was, you, you look at these people like they're n nothing like you. They're yeah. aliens. They're, yeah. they're some different thing. They, mm -hmm. they're, 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 it's, the world is opened up to them so easily, yeah. and they're better than you. When someone hears you talk about your experience, the alcoholism, the abuse, the isolation, the feeling like a loser, and all the things that are so relatable to so many people, mm -hmm. when you can talk about this, you can... You, you're you're setting a map that other people can follow, yeah. and this is something that's so important in culture and in human beings. We're all part of some strange evolution of of the human race, mm -hmm. and the things that our grandparents went through 
were likely unfucking believably horrific. Yeah. The things their grandparents were, went through were probably magnitudes worse. Yeah. And this is just how human beings have gone from being monkeys to being what we are now. And it's happening very rapidly. Yeah. And one of the things that accelerates this understanding of consequences and of uh, the ability to rise to the occasion and overcome obstacles and to be able to use adversity as a tool to better yourself is someone like you. What you're doing right now is very, very beneficial to so many people. Millions of people are listening to this right now. And so many of them, this is going to resonate with them. They're going to say, Oh, this guy who is this fucking badass kickboxer, Muay, excuse me, Muay Thai fighter, <laughs> badass dude who's just like, you know, like people admire you. And yeah. to hear this is it's so, it's so powerful. I mean, it's, it, I'm so glad you said it. I'm so glad you talked all of it from the beginning, you know, your, your earlier struggles to this, because th- this is medicine for people, man. There's yeah. a lot of people that are hearing this right now and they're going, I can do it too. I can do it too. Yeah, and that's that's always been an, uh, a motivational thing for me um, to try to be honest with the, the the things that I deal with, the ups and the downs, and and to to show my losses, to show my injuries, to show to be vocal about the doubts that I have that that I still have that I yeah. still deal with. You know, it's 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 easy to look at these people in the spotlight and be like. They don't deal with fear. They don't deal with pain. They don't right. deal with doubts. They don't deal with feeling like they're inadequate. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think it was a clip or something. You were talking um, about the the imposter syndrome. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, like it doesn't matter how amazing you seemingly are on the outside to all of these people like we're all just human beings we are all just individuals that have made choices and have steered our lives in certain directions but but it's almost like when you make it to a point it's like oh they don't deal with this anymore yeah i deal with the exact same fears doubts and in all of these things that I dealt with day one to this day i'd still deal with them those same questions they've never gone away ever gone away you know you learn how to handle them better and you learn you get strengthened by them but but they don't necessarily disappear and and a lot of times they they can get worse um over the years because now you're now you're in a position where you're expected to be a certain way Mm. you people have people have expectations of you you know you're you're supposed to be this superhuman being or you're supposed to be extremely confident or you're supposed to only put on a plus performances and you're not allowed to fail you're not allowed to be human anymore and um the when we can um humanized these things and and, and then it, it, it lets people realize that they can do it too yeah. you know they're, we're not we're not necessarily made up of anything different than anybody else you know we've just gone through a process of learning and developing and diving off of cliffs that we didn't know where they were going and yeah. that's that's what we all have to do you know like the people in these spotlights they're they're just human beings yeah and the more that you you meet them and, and read about their stories and um you know that's why i love reading autobiographies like geez like the things these people have had to overcome they weren't handed anything if it, more than anything it was more devastating and detrimental and they've had to overcome more than you could possibly imagine and and, and it wasn't just given to them they had to work and strive and struggle and fail fail over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until they got to where they got to and still do they still do they still fail constantly we all fail constantly yeah 
Well, failure is a gift. Yeah. Once you make that switch, once you understand it and like you can view these losses or these things that happen or these struggles as, you know, I, I, I always view them as challenges. Be like, are you going to quit? Are you going to give up? I always view like when I'm tired in the ring or in, on, on a workout, I'm like, you want to quit? I'm like, fuck you, man. You know, I view that, 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 that voice in your mm. head, you know, that, 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 that devil that's looming over your shoulders. Like you're going you're to quit your failure. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not quitting. I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to stop. And there's nothing you can do. So keep talking, but I'm going forward. Is there a time where you ever get past that and you understand that you're never going to quit and instead just concentrate on the task at hand? Or do you think that 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 voice that you're duking it out with, that you take that motherfucker to the grave? You definitely take it to the grave. You, I think we feel like we get farther away from it and we get stronger and we get more confident, but it never gets far. You never get farther away from it. You know, like, like I, I compare it to my alcoholism. It's like I could go 10 years without ever drinking again, but all it takes is one bad day. Yeah. We are all one bad day of yeah. being in the worst situations ever. And that's why it's so important to, you know, you look at people on the streets and things like that, but like, you know how easy that can happen? Yeah. Like how many bad days or bad situations would it take to turn a successful person into that not a lot. Not like a lot. we're all just balancing on this very yeah. delicate thing that uh, you know, it seems like we're all strong and safe and all this, but like, well, when the power goes out and um, you know, that the world's gonna go to hell like that. Yes. We just pretend like it's not because right. that's how we get through the day. So but yeah, like uh, to your point is I, I don't think we're ever any farther away from those things that held us back before we get stronger and we learn how to process them and we, we, we understand it more and we understand that the series of things that we need that will take us down that road or, or get us farther away from it. But it, but it's just right there, you know, and, um, no matter how much we learn and develop, I think sometimes that makes it even more scarier. It's like the higher you get, the farther you have to fall. Um, and, and, it's the more you can be aware of that, that, that you're never going to get farther away from it. You always need to be diligent that you always need to do things that are going to steer you in a more positive way. The, um, I think that it, that is like the goal to, to not falling back on that. The, I think the worst thing that we can do is have this belief that we're past it. Yeah. Like, that's uh, never going to happen again. I'm, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. Um, that's what, that's, what's helped me is, is I, I did think I, one day I would be so far away from it that it, it would never be a thought anymore. But, but by knowing that it's always right there, that keeps me sharp. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that, that you need that thing to keep you at your best. Or else we start to get lazy. It's that, that that same concept of having people that push you in the gym or in life or, or et cetera. If, if you don't have somebody pushing you, you can only ever push yourself so hard. You might think you're pushing yourself really hard, but you don't really have a basis for, for where that is. Um, so like for myself, I, I always run my sprints on a treadmill because a treadmill doesn't lie. This is how fast you're going, and this is how long you're doing it. Now, you can go out on the street and say, oh, I was going as fast as humanly possible. 
you're always going to hold yourself back a little bit. You know, that's just the way we are as human beings, you know, that that safety net that we have ingrained in us uh, to not go over that edge. But mm. if you're not pushing that edge, you're not developing and you're always holding yourself back a little bit, a little bit. And no matter how hard you think you're going or, or, or how honest you think you're being, unless you have somebody, that's why it's so important to have people in your lives that, that, that keep you in that sharpened state, you know, that, that, that that uh that question you yeah <laughs> that uh that push you and um you know like like for me gina's always been that way for me that person is like she's not gonna look look at my not let me bullshit you know just keep me honest you know sometimes to a, to an extreme extent <laughs> like give me a little bit of a break here but <laughs> you know it's like that person that um that pushes you and it's uncomfortable to be pushed and you, you don't want to be pushed. I want to relax and I want to like sit on yeah. the beach and drink beers and, and do all these things. But is that going to help me get to a better place in my life, a better place in my mind and my heart? No, that's going to allow me to just like be a lazy piece of shit and just drift off and die and be no benefit to, to myself or anyone else for that matter. So as uncomfortable as it is to be pushed and as uncomfortable as it is to be pressured and to, to, to want to excel, um, we all need those things. You're either improving or, or you're declining. Yeah. And I, that, I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind. Like it's only one or the other. Yeah. There is no in the middle it's like the concept of balance you never find balance because once you find it you lose it you're always jumping on both sides of this line too much or too little you're either going too fast or too slow yeah and we're trying to find that perfect balance of everything and, and you never can find it but knowing that you never can find it forces you to be diligent about all these things and to constantly be trying to find it. And the more you try to find that, the more you're going to develop and learn ways that, that aren't the right way and then finding what, uh, what does work. Um, it's like d trying to find your, your, your calling and your passion in life. It's like you don't have to necessarily know what that is, but whittle it down by – what don't you want to do? What do you hate? Yeah. What do you hate? Right. Don't even look at what you like. What do you hate? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I, I, w I learned very early on at a young age, like, I do not want to go down this path that I see everybody on this. Mm. Go to school, get a job, uh, have kids, get married, retire, die. Like, I, 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 don't want, I don't want that. I don't know what I do want. I just know that to me, I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. Whatever that is, as long as I'm far away from that, that's where I'm going to be. Well, it's one of the benefits of being an outsider. Yeah. When you're an outsider and you see all these people that are supposedly doing the right thing, but living these sort of empty, meaningless lives that they don't enjoy, yeah. particularly that they don't enjoy, uh -huh. you know? And then, you know, when I was a kid, I, I always looked at normal people living normal lives. I could never relate. I never understood it. You know, I also grew up from a broken home and we were also on welfare and, you know, the whole deal. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of motivated people come from a place of despair when they're younger. Yeah. And I always had this thought in my head that one day I would make it. Yeah. One day I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And then one day I realized, and I don't know when I realized it, probably when like on paper I'd already made it. Yeah. I realized, yeah. oh, there's no such place. <laughs> like, this is not real. Like, you can't ever 
you don't make it. No, no one makes it. Yeah. Like if you, every day you have to be trying to do better. Every mm-hmm. day you have to be trying. First of all, there's no perfect human. Let's accept that. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be flawed. You're always going to. You're always going to be subject to fits of rage and envy and and all the things that you wish that you would never have in your mind. So you've got to constantly be working to make sure that that never happens. Mm-hmm. You've constantly be working to make sure that you are. It, always evaluating your perspective on life and always looking at things from meditate constantly meditate make sure that you approach life with uh, a a learned perspective like you're a better person than you were the day before mm-hmm. and whatever you're trying to do whether it's fighting or whether you're you have an art form that you practice whatever it is that you're doing you're trying to do better every day and you never even if you you accomplish some like when you know, you accomplish some amazing work of art. That's just that day. Mm-hmm. The next day, you got to go back to work. Like, yeah. like if you have a world championship fight and you've trained for eight weeks and you win by knockout and a spectacular result and you're very happy with the result, you got a day or two to relax. Yeah, you got a day or two, and then you're like, "Fuck, okay, now what?" Well, yeah. now you got to get back to work. And if you if you think that there's some place like a movie where you're holding hands with your loved ones and the fucking sunsets going on and the credits roll. That's horseshit. And yeah. we have this idea in our head that there's this place that you can get to where you've, air quotes, made it. Yeah. And that, I'm here to tell you that motherfucker doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not the most successful person in the world, but on paper, I've accomplished a lot of shit, and it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. <laughs> every fucking day, every fucking day, I get up yeah. and I'm like, all right, I figure, figure out how to do this. I got to work on this new bit. Okay, I got this podcast today. I got to be on point. Let me think about this. Let me read this book. Let me, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, whatever the subject is. Let me get all. Let me get into it. You, you have to. If you don't, you're you're gonna feel like shit. Yeah, it's you, that that destination mentality. Yeah, there's no destination. Yeah, it's there, just a journey. You're never gonna get there. There's no doesn't exist. To to. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> there's nowhere to go. As soon as you get there, we're like, geez, I'm just as far away from that thing that I thought. Because as you develop your your the things that you think you want, develop too. Like, yes. Oh, one day I'm gonna be rich. But the richer that you get, the richer you want to become. Well, then you start filling up your life with these meaningless destinations, right? Which are material objects. Like I yeah. want a fucking yacht, bitch. Yeah. I want a jet. You know, yeah. and you're like, I want a bigger jet. Tom's got a fucking jet, but I want a big jet. I want yeah. to show, I'll pull my jet up beside his jet. Let him know, motherfucker, there's <laughs> levels to this game. You know, and that's what people do. And it's, they, they fill their lives up with meaningless possessions. And they, yeah. and they still a, aren't a, happy. A band-aid to cover up the, like, what is the real thing here? Do you know how many really successful people I know that are fucking medicated to shit? All of them. All of them. A lot of them. More, 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 more so than the people that aren't in a yes. lot of ways. The people that struggle, they're on a better medication. <laughs> For real, the yeah. the struggle of like like a hard working person that can uh, get get done with a day of hard work and have yeah. a feeling of accomplishment, and then go home to your family and get going again, knowing you have to get up in the morning and do it again, knowing you don't have enough money to buy a yacht, but knowing you have enough money to put food on the table, and there's yeah. a satisfaction to being able to provide that. That's a better medicine. Well, that's the thing with with why it's so important and vital to to travel and you know go to these third world countries. Like these people literally have nothing, and are inviting perfect strangers into their homes and giving them things they, that they they do not even have themselves. Like, why are these people so happy? 
Why right. are they so at peace? Right. Because they understand what's important. That it's not this materialistic thing, and and that's not to say that materials are bad, but we view them as these 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 objects of of success. And, yes. and, 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 and I've made it, and I things are perfect in my life, and they they do the exact opposite in a lot of ways. If you don't have a good grasp of of what's really important in this life. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times we need everything taken away for us to really understand what those things really are. Yeah. I mean, you can appreciate some things. You can appreciate a nice car or a nice house. But if you get really caught up in them, you are trying to fill up a bucket with a hole in it. Yeah. And it's never going to fill up. Yeah. You're always just going to look for bigger and bigger things to try to fill that bucket up. And, and you're going to feel full of anxiety all the time chasing that yeah. and there's no real there's no real satisfaction then that's why you know when you look at one of the things that people look at when you look at people that are extremely materialistic that you know wear the the most fancy jewelry and drive the most fancy cars and the biggest houses we always think they're shallow yeah. always i mean isn't that funny like the thing that you would look at in terms of like like markers for success markers is like Material things are mm -hmm. the big ones, right? Yeah. They're the big markers for success. The big house. The, yeah. That's the big one, right? Yeah. Big ass fucking mansion. Look at this mansion. Big everything. Big everything. Yeah. Big fucking rock on his finger. Yeah. Big chain. You know, big this, big that. The, there's nothing there. Yeah. There's nothing there. And so ingrained in us from the time that we're born. Because it's hard to get. Yeah. That's it, That's why it's a trick. It's one of those things that's hard to get, so you think you want to get it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that are hard to get that are worth getting. For sure. Right? I mean, becoming a great fighter is hard, yeah. but it's worth doing. Yeah. Because once you do do it and you, you realize, like, like there's an expression that I've used before, but my uh, Taekwondo instructor said to me when I was a, a little boy, he said, martial arts are a vehicle for developing your human potential. Yeah. And I remember that. I'm mean, like, oh, shit. Like, and I've used that many times, explain it to people. But that is the benefit of getting good at a martial art. Yeah. Like, you go through this difficult thing, and then through that, you reap all these personality rewards. Mm -hmm. You reap these character rewards. You reap this understanding of what you're capable of, right? If you are capable of making it through a brutal camp and getting up in the morning when you know you don't want to, that alarm clock goes off and you're like, I don't want to fucking run. But you do it. You go out and run and you, mm -hmm. you do it every day and you get through it and then you're successful. And you realize that you have this incredible endurance because of the discipline that you put in. You realize that you have this incredible skill and this understanding of how to fight correctly because of all the time and the hours and the focus. You're a better person because of that, yeah. right? That's a real goal. But that yacht, you know, like, the, 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 like oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work 16 hours a day so I can get a bigger yacht, and then you know, I, I, I need a house with bigger windows. I need a, mm -hmm. it's there's a nonsense to that. Like, look, I'm not saying if you can afford a nice house, get a fucking nice house. It's yeah. great to have a nice house. But what I'm saying is, it's not the end. Yeah, it's the, you, you are the project. Yeah. Your mind is the project. Yeah. How you treat people is the project. Yeah. How you, you're, the way you are with your family and your friends and your loved ones and the people you communicate with, get better at that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the goal in this life. The goal in this life is how we treat each other. I know, and I, I, I wish these were things that we were uh, 
taught. No, 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 no. Out. It's better. It's better that you didn't learn it that because way. Because you had figured Be- out yourself. Yes, because you had to figure it out yourself and because you can explain it to people. That's you, true. in particular, that you can explain it to people having gone through this horrific adversity mm-hmm. and come out on the other end with a message. Yeah. And so other people that are going through some tough shit, you've got the medicine. Yeah. The medicine is your, you've, you've actually experienced it. And, you know, it's a map. It's a map of the territory. It's yeah. not... It's not a fucking pill that you can take and all of a sudden everything's going to be better. But what it is is a map of the territory and, you yeah. know, and, and a, a knowledge. Hey, you can get through these woods and on the other side there's a beautiful green meadow and there's mm-hmm. a lake and it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think that that was one, uh, one of the benefits of the way I grew up, which, which is really hard and horrible. But I got to see firsthand both sides of money. You know, I went from living in a basement with five other people and living on welfare to living with my father in a mansion. And it's like, oh, yeah, all this money and all this stuff is just emptiness and and meaningless and and it doesn't necessarily equate to real happiness. And like, why are we all chasing this so hard? And I got to see that firsthand very, very early on. I was like, I don't want this at all. Well, it's a trick. It's like the same reason why people love to play video games because yeah. they're difficult. Uh-huh. But there's no there's no real reward unless you're a professional video game player and you make a living doing it. Nowadays, there's yeah. no real reward. You just get better at it and you get some sort of a sense of satisfaction. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's something to be gained from it. In fact, some video games they've actually shown can increase your cognitive performance and other things similar to the way chess does. Right. But the the trap is that they're hard to do. Mm-hmm. So when we see things that are difficult, human beings are sort of puzzle and problem-solving oriented. We see puzzles we want to solve, and we see mysteries we want to find out. That's why everybody's into like Bigfoot and UFOs and shit, because it's a mystery. Yeah. Oh, what is it? What do yeah. you think it is? Like We have a natural inclination to try to solve things like that. Yeah. And we think that because... In life, look, if you try to solve where the food is, you survive. That's what made us Mm -hmm. alive. That's why our DNA has been passed down for all these hundreds of thousands of years. Because our ancestors figured out where the food is. You know, they figured out how to drill a hole in the ice and fish. They figured out how to, you know, how to survive. And this is why things that are difficult to do are attractive to us. But we have to be able to differentiate between things that are difficult and meaningful mm-hmm. and things that are difficult and bullshit. Yeah. My fr- you know Brian Callen? Mm-hmm. My friend Brian Callen said something to me once when we were really young, and uh, it was the perfect thing. We are both in our 20s. And he said, all you want is enough money so you don't have to worry about what something costs when you go to a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, everything else is bullshit. I was like, you're right. Yeah, like that well, yeah, feeling it's, it's, of being able to have enough money to just get a nice meal at a restaurant and not sweat it. Yeah. Like everything else is gravy. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they've done countless studies on this. Like once your basic human needs are met, you know, you, you have food, shelter. Yeah. Um, everything from that point on is doesn't correlate to any kind of happiness and in, in many ways is the exact opposite. You know, creates more stress yes. and, and all of these yes. things. Like. What, how much do you really need? And if you, the more you, you think you need, the, the more problems you're creating and, and, and the more distractions you are from um, the important things in life and, and, and developing as a human being. You know, you're developing all these materialistic things, but you're not developing yourself. 
emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like just as soon as you realize that and be like, why, why am I, cha- what am I, what is the purpose of what it is that I am chasing? Yeah. I think the study was like, they said $80,000, like uh-huh. everything over $80,000, like you really don't experience any much more, you know, before that, you're, you you get into like forty thousand, thirty thousand. Well, now you're struggling. It's yeah. hard to feed yourself. Yeah, becomes very. It's a weight on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. But once you hit a certain number, it's like yeah, you're gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna be on the street. Yeah, you're you're, be fine. you're living like yeah. I remember when I lived in uh, this apartment, uh, this uh, kind of shitty apartment, and then I moved to a better apartment, and then I was sitting in this better apartment. I was like, I'm kind of used to this. Like yeah. I'm used to this. Like yeah. this is just home now. Mm-hmm. There's a feeling when you get when you're home. Like all right, I'm home. Now I'm in this other apartment. It just costs more money. Yeah. You know, like, okay. I remember thinking that, like, is this better? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's better, yeah. but it costs twice as much. <laughs> like, now I got to fucking think about how I'm going to pay for this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think about, like, when I had, like, $5 in the bank or when I had $5,000 in the bank. Like, did I feel different? I didn't feel different at all. No. You know, I might have felt different like when I go out to eat and the check comes, like, how am I going to pay for this kind of thing? But but emotionally, I, I didn't feel any different whatsoever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's such an important lesson for all of us to learn. And, if, you know, the early, the sooner you figure those things out, you know, the better. Like so many things in life we figure out so late, if ever. You know, when we're kids, we look at uh, adults, our parents, um, those in authority, and we think, oh, they got it figured out. You, you had a really good joke about this, about thinking um, the older you get, the more you, you understand life and how things are going on. But the, the older you get, realize nobody knows what the fuck is going on, and everyone's out here just winging it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just kind of trying my best. But, but I'm like, oh, maybe I should look to my parents for advice. I'm like, geez, they're really just adult kids. Like, they don't know what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. Yeah, the bit was, do you remember when you thought that grown-ups were real? They don't exist. Like, I used to think that one day I'm going to be a grown-up. I was crying. I was young. I was so upset. One day I'm going to be a grown up and everything's going to make sense yeah and then one day you're at the supermarket and the guy goes paper or plastic sir and you're like sir <laughs> i'm a sir am i a grown up fuck this is uh, it and then you realize yeah. no one knows any more than you about mm-hmm. what this is all about yeah. you might have more data yeah. in your head you might have more experience you might be a brain surgeon you might know how to build rockets you might be smarter than me yeah but you don't have any fucking idea what this is yeah no one does no. you cannot no it's you can, but just, everything is there. I like to think there are there are really no facts. Everything is a theory because <laughs> we could all be asleep in a dream right now or hooked up to a machine. Like nobody knows that for sure. So how can you possibly say anything is factual? You can say things are factual with the information that's in front of you, but that information might be bullshit. And ten years from now, we might say we might have a completely different perspective on things that we're doing now that we think are right and like this is the way life is this is the way the world is you know like 10 years ago people had a very different approach to things you know what we can say is as far as we know this is the case and this is what we know is repeatable yeah if you do this if you put two bricks on top of two bricks you have four bricks we're pretty sure (laughs) but maybe not (laughs) but we might be in a dream (laughs) yeah like we could all be wrong and that's why i i I think it's you know so stupid to to judge other people's beliefs be like oh your way is the right way you got it figured out and everybody else is crazy but you think it i'm like don't you think that they think the exact same thing you do well there's a problem today and there's a lot of people out there giving advice 
and um, th- this is what's interesting. Sometimes advice re- it resonates, and then you get older and wiser, and you realize that advice is really fucking stupid. <laughs> because you have it's there's people that are giving advice, and they're they're they were they're there's like a lot of value in motivating people, right? Like yeah. when someone's a like legitimately motivational person, whether it's like. Wim Hof, the Iceman, or mm-hmm. someone who's like really done some things. Yeah. There's something about them that that their inspiration is fuel. Yeah. It's it really does something to you. But then there's a lot of people out there that are just saying shit because they think it's going to be motivating to yeah. other people, and it yeah. sounds like horseshit. Yeah, and it only tricks dummies. Yeah, and that stuff is painfully prevalent. Yeah, there's so much of it. There's so many people out there that are trying to offer advice mm-hmm. and they're trying to motivate people. But then you go, hey, man, what have you experienced? Mm-hmm. They've had a placid, dull <laughs> life filled with non-accomplishments. Yeah. Their biggest accomplishment is tricking people into thinking they're a good motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, get rich quick thing. It's oh, like, there's so many of those. This is how they've gotten rich. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I was watching a documentary on one of those guys. One of these uh, internet guys who rents houses and rents cars and pr- tries to pretend he's this big baller and mm-hmm. and spends all this money and, and you know and, and it ran a bunch of scam dating sites and all these different things and I'm like wow this is this is this pursuit is odd it's a fucking odd thing yeah. this uh, pursuit of tricking people into thinking that you're more knowledgeable than you actually are mm-hmm. what resonates with people is like what you were talking about from the beginning of this podcast when you're talking about your life and how you felt and your own real legitimate experiences and the feelings of inadequacy and then the finding the light at the end of the tunnel and all these different things that are just you're 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 relaying your your life's lessons and experiences those yeah. are extremely valuable for people yeah. those are extremely valuable but because people know they're extremely valuable there's a lot of bullshitters out there that mm-hmm. are trying to concoct these things yeah. and and then trick you and like this is how I got this mansion yeah. you, know, you can get this mansion too you can make i'm going to show you here on a whiteboard this is what you could do yeah. and like they're just horseshitting yeah but there's money in that and yeah. so there's a lot of them there's like they pop up all the time i get emails from them mm-hmm. i get uh fucking instagram messages i i, I see them like hey i want to come on your show and motivate people i'm um, i'm really about motivating people yeah. like bro you're 22 <laughs> the fuck are you motivating you ain't motivating shit <laughs> You know, go move to Nepal for a year. Yeah. And it's also such a, it's a tricky thing because like for, even for myself, it's like, of course I, w- I want to motivate people. I want to help people. And yes, but you can start drifting into that. Now I'm a motivational speaker. Yes. Now I'm not being honest. And yes. Now I'm not, uh, communicating the full spectrum of the things that I'm dealing with and going through and like, I'm only going to focus on this positive thing. Like, I'll just do this, this and this. And you know, you're going to go the right way. And oftentimes it's because they don't have someone in their life. Like the way you were describing Gina. Yeah. Someone is, Hey, fuck face. You're being you know? an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like, pull like, your head out of your someone, ass. You, you have to have someone in your life that's raw with you. That's real with you. And for me, it's my friends. It's definitely my wife. She doesn't bullshit me about anything. Yeah. Those, those people are giant in your life. You got to have people that check you. Yes. You they have to know you too. They have to know you. You can't hide anything from them. We have, we have a lot, of, a lot of us tend to have these, um, um, would the word be i don't know these people in our lives that like they're only there because you're doing something for them or or this like yeah but those people aren't 
pushing you. They're 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 yes men. Yeah, they're parasites. They're parasites. They're they're not. It's not a real relationship. No. It, it's not a that it's not a, a relationship you're going to grow through. That's a that's a relationship that's going to make you feel good. Yes. And 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 in a lot of ways, and yeah, that's fun and comfortable. It's like, but if you if that person can't uh get to the core of you and really like when you tell me something i know it's truth because you have no other reason to to say bullshit right you don't owe me uh, you don't need anything from me yeah yeah that's giant for people you you can't like this is one thing that i've seen many times with celebrities yeah when they go off the rails and they they don't hang out with other people like them Mm -hmm. so they don't have real friends they yeah. have these employees and people, and it gets real sketchy. And everyone that they talk to and interact with needs something from them. And they assume this position of authority mm-hmm. where no one can question them. Yeah. Like, no one can call bullshit. No one, like, you got to have peers. Mm-hmm. It's very important. And mm-hmm. you don't have, if you don't have the respect and the friendship of your peers, like, man, you're adrift. Yeah. You're not tethered. You're out there in orbit, just fucking floating around. Yeah. You're another dimension. And yeah, not thing, good. Things it's easy to get there, too. <laughs> Very easy. Very, yeah. Much much easier. Especially than for successful people. People yeah. start kissing your ass. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is nice. I don't need I don't need to deal with this bullshit. Yeah. I'm going to have these people around me that make me feel good and say yes to me and bring me all the things that I want and give me no stress. When I meet people like that, I go, you should do jujitsu. Yeah. Go get choked. Well, that, I mean, that's such, a, tell such the truth. An, an important thing. Any, anything <laughs> physical yeah. like that yeah. is uh, extremely, I think, vital for everyone. I mean, particularly kids coming up, you yeah. know, putting kids into athletics and martial Fuck arts. And, yeah. things like and if you don't like martial arts, look, you can't fake a marathon. That yeah. 26.2 needs to be run. Yeah. You need to go left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot till you hit the fucking finish line, period, end of discussion. Yeah. If you don't do that, you don't get there, you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. But you can fake a lot of shit. Yeah. There's a lot of shit you could fake, but moving your body, you know, you can't really fake that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, a 90-minute yoga class is 90 fucking minutes. Mm-hmm. It's hot as shit, and you're in there sweating your balls off, and, it, you know, you got to get to the end. Yeah. You got to get to the end, you know, and it's just, it's a small thing. That's a small thing. Yeah. You know, life is a big thing, Mm -hmm. but these small things that you can do, they'll help you understand what's necessary to get through the big things. Yeah. And there's, there's, it's all macro and micro. It's all connected in some Mm -hmm. strange way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you talked about all this stuff, man. All of it from the beginning, you know, and then leading up to the, the, the thing with your stepmom. People, you know, people need to hear from a guy like you that looks like, you know, you're a cool cat. You got your shit together. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it'd be, it would have been very easy for me just to come on here and us to bullshit about yeah. fighting and that kind of we thing. We can do that too, though. Yeah, we can definitely do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's important for me just to be honest with all the aspects of my life and to not start drifting into that. Just yeah this surface you know this is who i am and you know image image mentality and uh yeah i i'm I'm very aware of not wanting to be there yeah and and trying to uh always express myself honestly it's a trap yeah 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 the image thing's a trap it's not bad to look good but the this to concentrate on your image above truth and honesty is, is a real trap yeah and um, I think there's fighters fall into that category a lot because fighting is so fucking 
It's so perilous. Yeah. You don't know what the future holds. You have no idea. Every time you train, you could tear an ACL. Yeah. You really have no idea. Every day is a, and you're relying on your tissue to feed yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Your tissue and your cells and, and physical motion and action in order to, that's what you do for a living. It's, it's so perilous. There's so many things, just so many things that could go wrong. And, mm-hmm. and when you know, you think about a, an actual fight itself. I mean, the anticipate. Like I, I, I think back to um, this past weekend with uh, Cowboy mm-hmm. and Connor, and looking at Cowboy, like the wh- the weight of the moment yeah. in, in in his eyes. You could see him warming up, and he talked about it. There's this video that they played before the fight, which he he goes through all of the nervousness that he experiences before he fights mm-hmm. goes through all the faking it and smiling and pretending he's cool and meanwhile inside he's freaking the fuck out and yeah. all that stuff that adds to this need to make everything look great yeah yeah for sure yeah we 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 want to we want to be viewed as superhuman yeah yeah and we're none of us are no my favorite um, piece on that was uh, Mike Tyson in his prime. Remember yeah, Mike Tyson, that documentary where he talked about his mindset, mm-hmm. walking to the ring. How he's afraid. Yeah. And, yeah. About not losing. And he's yeah. Like, and then I'm a god. Also. Yeah. Once they get inside and I step through the ropes, I'm a god. <laughs> yeah. That, that gives me fucking goosebumps every time. Yeah. You yeah. know, because he would just put himself into this state of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, Custom Model used to hypnotize him when he was 13. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know about that till he was on the podcast. I don't even know if he ever talked about it. Oh, yeah. But he was talking about how when he was a kid, mm-hmm. like this guy, he went from being this really, you know, poor kid who was abandoned, no love, a constant crime and a t- terrible poverty around mm-hmm. him to all of a sudden he's getting all this love for doing this one thing. For smashing people, and he found himself with one of the greatest boxing minds that's ever lived in Customato, mm-hmm. who's explaining to him fear and motivation, and all these different things, and he's hypnotizing him. Yeah. So he's hypnotizing this 13 year old kid to smash people and mm-hmm. saying, You don't exist, only the task exists. Yeah. And he's putting him into this mindset, and so then when he gets into the ring, he's just fucking steamrolling people. Yeah. Like it was almost like a science project. Like Customato found. At the end of his rope, right, he's old man, about to die. He's been through great champions like Floyd Patterson, and he trained all these great fighters. And now he's got the greatest one he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. But he's a dying man, and this kid's 13. Mm-hmm. And this kid is just – he was 190 pounds when he was 13. Teddy, <laughs> Teddy, Atlas, Teddy Atlas said he would bring him to these smokers, and no one would believe it. Yeah. He would go, how old is that? They would go, how old is that kid? He goes, he's 13. He was like, get the fuck out of here. And he's like, okay, how, do you, how old do you think he is? Yeah. He's like 16. All right, he's 16. Yeah. Put him in there with a 16-year-old. And mm. he would smash some 16-year-old. Yeah. He was just built insane. He just had insane genetics. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, he had the greatest mind ever when it comes to motivation and understanding fear and boxing. Mm-hmm. A guy who studied it his entire life, and he's a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. And he's hypnotizing this young 13-year-old kid to smash people. And the results? youngest ever heavyweight champion Crazy. and one of the scariest fucking fighters in the history of sport there he is yeah. in the catskills i mean that's also raised in isolation in the fucking catskills yeah. up in the mountains yeah fuck what a story it's a yeah. goddamn movie yeah 
Oh, and, and then, well, then you think about like how amazing that was for him as an athlete, but how detrimental that was to him yeah. as a human being and all the things he's had to develop so much later mm -hmm. in life. And like, yeah, you understand like why he was fucking nuts. Yes. You know, like yes. you expect these people to be normal when they're doing this thing. Like, right. Why do we expect that? Right. Like you, 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 you want these people to be these amazing athletes and these savages and these things, but then when they're human beings on the outside, it's like, oh well, that's this guy's a piece of shit. And like, <laughs> you can't have it. It's difficult no. to have it both ways. Well, it's also human beings are so incredibly nuanced, and when someone does a thing wrong, we want their whole to be wrong. Yeah. Everything who they are, we want a one or a zero. We yeah. want a black or a white, and particularly when you're dealing with people like fighters mm -hmm. that are dealing with this insane amount of pressure and this incredible emotional roller coaster ride. And then on top of that, why did they become fighters in the first place? Mm -hmm. Almost all of them. I mean, let's say, let's just be real generous and say 75%. 75% of them came from a fucked up childhood. Mm -hmm. There's 25% of them maybe that just really enjoy competition. Yeah. But 75% came from a feeling of deficit. 75% mm -hmm. came from a fuck you, I'm going to show you. Yeah. They came from this thing. And people that come from that thing, they're not the most balanced folks yeah they're gonna make mistakes yeah. you know and compassion and understanding and and the ability to forgive those are those are some of the most important aspects of community and of friendship and of of the human race we have to be able to be compassionate towards people yeah. that have experienced a different life than we have and we have to be able to forgive people when mm -hmm. they fuck up. And we can't just write them off. And that's one of the weirder things about today with this whole cancel culture shit. Yeah. Like people would just want to decide, you know, like based on a tweet someone said or yeah. so, something someone did. That's it. You're, you're canceled forever. Get out. Yeah. Kill them. Death. Off with their head. Yeah. It's almost like there's too many of us. So <laughs> we, we, we just don't value. It's almost like people in traffic. We don't value each other because there's. There's so many people that you, we just have an overwhelming abundance of human beings. You can cancel somebody yeah. and you don't even think about them. Get rid of them. Yeah. Who's next? You well, know, it's like, so much easier for us to be judgmental yes. and have a voice and to say, you're wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm justified yeah. in the way I am because I've never done that. So I'm a good person. And you're right. a bad person. Right. Because <laughs> we don't want to look inside and be like, we're all fucked up. We all do yes. horrible things. We all do really awful things to each other. And these people are in the spotlight. So it's easy to point at them and make yourself feel better about the things that you haven't done and sure. or justified in, in your actions. But, but like we're all fucked up and we all make mistakes and we all need some sympathy and love and, and we all need these things. Yeah. We're all human. Humans need love. We need sympathy. We need understanding. And yeah. we need to be able to say, I'm sorry. And we need other people to be able to accept that. We need to be able to communicate with each other. And that's also, cancel culture, I think, is born out of social media because it's yeah. the most bizarre way to communicate ever. Yeah. A one-way, like, text message to the world. Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah, that everybody's going to see. That everybody sees. That you don't know. Right. And then also people are sending these you know really disingenuous ones just hoping that people like them more because of the things they're saying mm -hmm. which is like a sport now it's like <laughs> let's see how many likes i can get Ooh, i yeah. got ding 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 and then I you got feel justified in, yes. in your opinion yes and then oh, that I'm becomes good. who you are i'm an activist bitch you're just complaining to the void you're yeah. screaming out into the world yeah that's 
you know, we're, we're living through strange times, man. Well, it's the, the cancel culture, and I view it as the, the team culture of everything is what's, I think, one of the more detrimental things to our, uh, to humanity is you're either on this side or that side, and our side's right, your side's wrong, yeah. and most of us are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But we can't have an in-the-middle conversation because it's you're with them or you're with us. Yeah. I want to know how people think if I disagree with them. I like talking to people I disagree with. Well, that's what I, you know, that's really um, one thing I really love about your show is your ability to communicate with people, even the ones that you obviously don't agree with, but you're able to talk to them and to hear their points of view and not be like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. Like, even if you're nuts, like, and talk to them. And, and, and that is something that is so missing today is our ability to communicate with people that don't agree with us. Like just cause you have a different opinion than me doesn't mean we can't meet in the middle somewhere or learn from each other yeah. or, or, uh, you know, a, a big thing for me coming up was we can learn from everyone, even if it's what not to do. Yes. That is so vital in, you know, um, in everything. But like for me in training, it was like, yeah, this person doesn't want the fuck they're doing, but maybe one day I'm going to face somebody like that. So maybe I should kind of get a little grasp of their mentality. And yeah. you know, that just applies to life. It's like maybe you don't agree with their thought process, but it, you can at least understand it and, and know what it is you do and don't like. Know what your beliefs are. You got to take a step outside of your beliefs to understand if is that even what you believe or is it just the way you were raised and the way you grew up? Like, do you really believe these things? Have you ever taken a step outside of them or, or listened to somebody else's alternate perspective on uh, what they believe and, and, and have an open mind to it? Like, Oh, yeah, no, that, that kind of makes sense a little bit. It's hard because you don't get that many conversations with people where you disagree with them and it's not confrontational. Usually they're confrontational or you're confrontational. So it always starts off on the bad foot. Mm -hmm. I've, I've learned how to do it from doing this podcast. And one of the most surprising things about doing this podcast is I learned how to talk to people better. Yeah. I didn't think that was a thing. Mm -hmm. I thought I just just was talking to people yeah. but then i realized somewhere along the way not only are people listening but sometimes i'm annoying okay like, <laughs> how, how do i how do i do this <laughs> where i'm less annoying and in learning how to do things that are less annoying i've become a more compassionate conversationalist i, I understand how to talk to people better yeah. and i've i've gotten it's i apply it to my whole life now mm -hmm. i've gotten better at it and i see people who are bad at it it's so frustrating like i have some really smart friends and, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and they just fucking interrupt each other and they interrupt you and they don't let anybody talk. Mm -hmm. They're not listening. They're just waiting for their time to talk. And yeah. it's it's so strange. They're not able to ever consider other people's opinions. They think that everyone but them is wrong. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's basically like, you know how it is when you see a YouTube video where people have no idea how to fight and you see them fight. You know that thing? That, of course I do. That is so crazy. I've uh, to this day, I'm like, I've been doing martial arts my whole life. I don't want to fight anybody, but I see people fight and they have no idea how to fight. I'm like, I, I imagine myself if I was in a street fight with this guy. I'm like, this is. I would be like, why are you doing this, man? Yeah. This is so crazy. You don't know what you're doing. Hey, yeah. Hey, you're crazy. You're gonna yeah. get killed. You're lucky. I'm nice. Mm -hmm. But 
that's the same way with conversation. There's a lot of people out there having conversations have no idea how to talk. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're not even really listening to you. Yeah. They're just so. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you arguing? Mm-hmm. You're you're in a conversation. And you don't even know how to have one. Yeah. You're not listening. Yeah. You're just talking. You're just using someone like a like a wall that you're throwing a fucking tennis ball off of. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. But, yeah. 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 Well, you had you had a good. Uh, um, statement on this and i think it was your last special where he was like you have two idiots in a room it's the more confident one that they listen to yeah and it's that that concept of you know, just just say more words and, and you know have more opinions and you don't have to think just be loud and make a lot of noise and it's a game they're trying to like checkmate you yeah instead of like having a communication and conversation they're trying to like socially dominate you mm-hmm. and this look i used to do it for sure yeah um I mean, I think it's a learned thing. You know, people do it to you and you go, man, I got fucking kicked my ass in that conversation. I'm going to get better at kicking people's ass. Yeah. And then you get better at sort of bulldogging people or talking over them or talking loud or having these uh, the, like these sentences that maybe you could pull out of your ass every now and then to shut people down. And it mm-hmm. sounds good. And, and it becomes a sport yeah. instead of what it really should be, which is sharing ideas and communicating with people. Mm-hmm. Like. I mean, if you're really into the sport of just debating people and shutting people down and insulting people, okay, good for you. But people don't like listening to that that much. Yeah. What people like listening to, for what I've, my, from my experience, is someone actually talking to someone, someone actually expressing their thoughts, and then the other person considering their thoughts and either agreeing or disagreeing. But people are so happy when you could do that without real conflict. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've had some people on that I. I it just five years ago, I would have. I would just said, "You fucking moron!" I would have yeah. screamed at them. What are you talking about? Yeah. You're an idiot. You can go fuck yourself. Jump off a bridge. Mm-hmm. But instead of doing that, I'd be like, "Okay, why do you think that?" And tell me, tell me what about this? Yeah. And, then, and here's what I think. Let me tell you what I think. Yeah. You tell me what you think. Yeah. And this but is to why be able to do that in a non like snarky way. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, you think that? Yeah. Tell me more. But, but but yeah, like like that's how you get the best out of people, though. That's how you understand who they really are. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's so valuable. So valuable for me. It's just for me. I know it's valuable for people that are listening, but just for me as a human, for my own education, mm-hmm. it's been everything. Yeah, everything. I've I've learned more from talking to people on this podcast, both from talking to scholars and scientists and and really intelligent people and morons yeah you know i've learned a lot from talking to morons just just the awkwardness and the way they process thoughts and the way they view the world and the way they've chosen to communicate like Mm -hmm. you learn from that just like you're saying like sparring with someone who's like doing has terrible habits yeah you go oh look at this guy what the fuck are you doing man yeah but you learn you can learn from people yeah well i think that's something that that really separates you from a lot of people i mean like yeah there's shows where people are very opinionated and loud and you know people like that and that kind of thing but your ability to communicate and to bring out conversation regardless of what the subject matter is makes it very intriguing and you can learn a lot um, you know regardless of who the guest is like you learn so much from these people because of the way you're able to communicate with them the way you're able to bring out conversation and and get in depth with all of these subjects. Well, I'm genuinely curious about 
most things. And I'm genuinely curious about the way I think. I'm like, why do I think that way? Yeah. So if someone thinks different than me, I'm genuinely curious. Like, why do you think? There's an instinct to go, nah, you're fucking wrong. I'm mm. right. But I, I just go, oh, I know what that is. That's a trick. Don't do that. Yeah. That's, that's dumb. Don't think that way. Just try to find out. This is not a game. It's not a contest. Yeah. Find out why this person thinks this way. Mm -hmm. And it's better for everybody. Yeah. But it's just a lost talent. Like a lot of people don't. And I didn't even know it was a thing until yeah. I started doing podcasts. It just took me a while. Like podcasts are like anything else for me, at least. As I'm doing it, I'm trying to get better at it. And I realize, oh, I used to not be as good. Like I can't, I never listen to my podcast. But mm -hmm. if I did listen to like the old ones from the beginning, I'd probably like, ugh. Yeah. Fucking terrible. For Jesus sure. Christ. Yeah. You know, plus most of them, I was high out of my fucking mind. I don't even know half what I was talking about while I was saying it. I was ruining conversations left and right. But these conversations for me are like, it's like going to school. It's like yeah. every day. I'm going to school about humans. Mm -hmm. You know, going to school about whatever the subject they're talking to me about, but also going to school about how, you know, the more people you talk to, especially like this, no cell phones, we're wearing headphones. And there's one of the reasons why I like headphones is because your voice is in my ear. Yeah. You're not over there. You're right here, man. You're, yeah. We're locked in. And this is exactly the same way that other people are going to hear it, uh -huh. which is a very unusual way to hear a conversation. Yeah. You don't think about it that way, but most mm. of the time when you hear a conversation, your voice is louder because it's closer right. and they're over there. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking to each other and you know maybe you check your phone or maybe you're distracted by other noises. But when you're wearing headphones, you don't hear anything else. Yeah. So you locked in and yeah. when when else would you and i and we're friends i've known you for years when will we ever sit down like this yeah for hours never. just across from each other <laughs> staring at each other's eyes just yeah. talking yeah yeah i never thought about that with the headphones it's big yeah that's interesting it keeps you from talking over each other too much too because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. conversations are improvisational right you know you have a, d a dance partner you don't want to step on each other's toes yeah. but you do it occasionally it's just yeah. So you get better at it. And it's for more than two people, it's mandatory. Mm -hmm. Like when you have three or four people on a podcast, you oh, cannot yeah. do it without headphones or it's just talking over each other. Like I learned that doing those fight companions. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's drunk. Yeah. And then they have the headphones <laughs> on. It sort of at least calms some of the overtalk, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey, man, like everything else, you know? Like everything else, it's a journey. I mean, if you're doing it right, your relationships being a parent being a comedian being a fighter being a doctor i'm sure you if you're concentrating on it you mm. get better at it yeah i'm sure yeah i think i think just the understanding of it's a constant balancing act it's a constant development the sooner you come to terms and understand that the better off you're going to be but yeah. we get we get locked into these ways of thinking these ways of living and it's like you're that way till you die mm -hmm. a lot of people are and and to constantly be questioning yourself and to be searching you know, i feel like a, i'm a i'm a seeker i'm seeking um different ways to do things different ways to think different perspectives on situations but particular ones i might be like stuck on like this is the way i think this is what i believe like i want to explore what my beliefs and feelings and viewpoints are um on everything yeah i think that is how you gain a better understanding of what this thing is what this thing yeah. we're experiencing is yeah which nobody knows what the hell it is nobody knows what it is <laughs> yeah i just got i mean i'm there's some scientists that are they they're 
trying to – they've written a book about it, but they're trying to come on the podcast to lay out all of the reasons why this is a simulation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going over some of their work, and I'm like, this is fucking so crazy. Because yeah. if, if they're right, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Are we playing a video game? Yeah. <laughs> like, if maybe they're right? Maybe we are. Maybe we are. And then there's the thought that maybe that is what life is, period. Yeah. And that this idea of like, oh, one day we're going to create an artificial environment that we exist in that's going to be indistinguishable from the real world that yeah. we exist in now. Maybe it's always that. Yeah. Maybe it's been that from the beginning. And evolution is actually a part of this long game. Mm -hmm. And that this cycling of life and life and death and all these things is just a part of this insanely long progressive game. Yeah. Yeah. Blow, blow your mind up and the more you think about it and you know who can say that that's not the case yeah you know nobody nobody can you no know, you can't you can't and the more you think about it you might like check out of reality um to a degree so it's it's a it's a scary thing i'm also genuinely curious as to other people's perspectives like there's sometimes i you know i love reading people's uh takes on current events takes on people and takes on like movies and music and all because I I disagree with so many of them and I yeah. and I go what how is this person viewing the world mm -hmm. like I would like to be them for a short period of time if I knew for a fact I can come back and be me again yeah. I want to see yeah. what are you seeing uh -huh. like how do you are you in pain all the time yeah. like are you just what why are you mad at stuff <laughs> like like what is it you know like is it an emotional thing or is your mind just wired different look we're all assuming. Right, that water tastes the same to you as yeah. it does to me, mm -hmm. and that like the sunshine feels. Everybody knows sunshine feels good, but does it feel the same? I don't know yeah. what your sunshine feels like, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, I think about that a lot. Um, one thought I have is like, this is white. We both say it's white, but maybe this looks completely different to you. Yeah. Maybe this white looks yellow. like yellow, yeah. but we call it the same thing right. because we're, we agree. And that's like so much of reality is just something we all agree upon until we don't, until we change our minds. But there's so many people that see and feel and think very different things. And we look at them as crazy because the majority of us say that's not the way we see or feel sure. things. But all anything is, is an agreeance upon what, this thing is and is that is that what makes things real that we agree that it's real <laughs> i don't know that's I a don't trick know either well i mean think about other things that people have tastes for like oh, food for example there's people that enjoy certain flavors like mm -hmm. spicy foods for yeah. example and there's other people that fucking hate it my wife's mom she can't have anything with any pepper mm. or anything anything even remotely hot she's like oh it's too hot yeah. like not everything is too hot yeah, yeah. and i can't make things hot enough i'm yeah. pouring hot sauce on everything uh -huh. like what is she feeling like what is it like i wonder if she had my taste buds like huh. what is it what am i experiencing different than her what you know what people that love certain kinds of music there's people i've tried so hard to like jazz because mm -hmm. it seems like a cool thing to like mm -hmm. like it seems like you you must be a cool guy if you like jazz yeah. like my good friend alonzo Bowden, hilarious comedian loves jazz goes on jazz cruises does stand up on these cruises i try man i try to listen to it i get some of it it's kind of cool but if i had to choose between jazz and other music, I'm like, get the fuck out. If there's one music that I could just wipe off the face of the planet, <laughs> <That'd be it. laughs> 
I don't know. It probably would be like dumb country songs. But outside yeah. of dumb country songs, I just I don't know what they're experiencing. Like, what is it about it that's resonating? Why do some people go bonkers for some movies and mm-hmm. other people think they suck? Yeah. Like, what is it? Yeah. One like, thing that always trips me out is I think about, like, people we view as l- lunatics. and like, what if they are seeing reality and we have blinders on? You know, because when you take into account what a finite percentage of what's really out there that we're able to see our perception and you know compared to like x-rays and gamma rays and all of these things like we have such a tiny filter on everything that's really going on out there yeah we don't really see we don't see shit compared to what's really there and like maybe these whacked out people are just seeing more of what's happening and that's what makes them nuts because they're like you're not seeing all these demons flying (laughs) around and all these colors and like we just have we have a filter on that so we can like process information like and it keeps us sane but that's I mean, what's really going on out there? But you think about how small an amount of acid you need to take to completely perturb the way you view the world. Yeah. You know, I think McKenna described this. Terrence McKenna described acid, that the potency of acid is like, it's literally like, for in, in terms of like the amount that you need in order to have an effect, he made an analogy like an ant deconstructing the entire empire state building in a matter of seconds Mm. like that's how potent it is in terms of volume you don't need a couple drops of acid Mm -hmm. in a huge human body and you're tripping balls for seven hours you know that's a chemical disruption of this very delicate ecosystem Mm -hmm. so if your neurochemistry is off in any way up or down, sideways, screwy, you got too much of this or too much of that, which we know is the case with everything, right? Like some people are born with bad eyesight. Some people are born deaf. Some people are born and they have uh, problems uh, processing pain. They don't feel pain correctly. Mm -hmm. Some people are born and they must have an imbalance of the chemicals that are floating around inside your head. Yeah. And their view of the world is radically different than ours. Yeah. And also those chemicals can shift depending on for your personal experience, like life, like abuse, p- children that are abused, their chemicals in their head as they're developing are off. They're different. Yeah. Their brains are different. They process life different because of abuse. Mm-hmm. People that have experienced extreme trauma, extreme violence when they're young, PTSD, mm. they're processing things differently than people that have not. Yeah. What's even crazier about that is I read a book called It Didn't Start With You, and it talks about how these things are passed on generationally from like trauma your grandparents had is passed on to you through your DNA and, and, it, and, it, and it changes us. Like how much is passed on to us that we have no control over mm. that alters our, the way we feel things, the way we see things, um, all of these uh, um, experiences that people have that, 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 that just get passed, passed down like that um, without any um, outside influence just, just through that process of being born. Do you have any children? No. When you have children, you see it in a really weird way. Like um, my middle daughter, my 11-year-old, is uh, an obsessive. Yeah. Like she she's a, obsesses on things and tries to get better at them or you gotta try to tell her, hey, time to go to bed. And she's doing like backflips in her room and shit. Like, stop, <laughs> yeah. stop, go to bed. Like, you got to go to bed. But that's me. Yeah. Like, and I always thought I was fucked up. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
I thought I was doing this, and I probably was, my whole life to try to show that I had value because I felt like I was ignored and I didn't know my dad and I always felt like an outsider and a loser and I always felt like I would become, I would throw myself into things to show that I had value mm. and I would get really good at things to show that I had value yeah. and that would be the, this obsession was like me trying, like uh, trying to escape the existential angst of my existence and just the, the constant anxiety and this just feeling of, of just inadequacy, uh, trying to escape it by being obsessed with things, but also trying to prove mm -hmm. through getting good at things that I have value. Because yeah. the first time I ever felt like I was worth anything was when I started getting good at martial arts. Uh -huh. like, and then people started respecting me. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I, I have a thing that people think I'm good at. Now yeah. that I'm good at this thing, that became my identity. And I just threw myself into that. But my daughter's grown up with none of that. Like yeah. she's all loved and she's all smiley and happy and she's not depressed. She gets a lot of hugs and she has friends, but she's a fucking psycho. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, you got that for me. Like, you got yeah. my crazy gene, but you got it without all the fucked up parts. Right. Like, you're not sad. Mm -hmm. You got it without the sad thing. You just want to get good at stuff mm -hmm. without, like, a happiness to it. Yeah. And also a feminine happiness to it. Right. Instead of a masculine, like, a gr I just want to smash. Yeah. That's all I wanted to do. I just want to smash things mm -hmm. to, because I was angry. But she's not angry. It's, so it's weird to see this obsessive, like completely obsessive behavior in terms of like trying to get better at things. And she accelerates it. She excels at so many different things that she gets good at. Yeah. She gets good at things and they become her whole life, like all day long, obsessive. Like it's really weird, yeah. but in a happy way. Uh -huh. And it's, so it's, it's strange genetically. Yeah. You know, and you know, you've met my dog, Marshall. Yeah. The fucking nicest dog in the world, yeah. right? He's so nice. Yeah. That's a genetic thing. Mm -hmm. That dog is a golden retriever. And when he, like, when you come over to him and he starts whining and he's so happy and he wants to get pet and he runs and grabs a toy, always. He always wants to bring you something. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't teach him that. Yeah. I've had him for three years. I've had him since he was a little tiny baby. He was just like six weeks old when I got him. Never had a rough day in his life. <laughs> Every day's been fun. But... He's learned through his DNA that he's supposed to retrieve things mm. and bring them over and that you are happier when he brings things over because that's the DNA that's in his system. It's not, he didn't learn it. Yeah. He, this is literally inside of him from the box, like right out of the box. Look at the ingredients. Oh, he likes to bring you things yeah. because his ancestors brought you things. His ancestors brought other people things and he, they were rewarded for it. And they said, oh, they give me treats and they like me more when I bring things. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just keep when you, you know, you shoot a duck out of the sky and they get that duck and bring it over and everybody gets happy. So it's in him. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't think we understand what what DNA actually is, or, yeah. or whatever the fuck you, DNA is just a name, right? Mm. With the components of the life form that are passed when two life forms breed and they make another one. I don't think we really understand it. I think we we have a rudimentary understanding of the chemistry involved, mm -hmm. but in terms of like personality yeah. and in terms of like the, the thoughts that are in our heads, mm -hmm. like. I was reading something by uh, Rupert Sheldrake, and he was talking about why uh, children are afraid of monsters. Mm -hmm. He's like, children that grow up in the city are afraid of monsters. They're not afraid of like uh, gunshots and car accidents, things that are really scary. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of monsters yeah. because our ancient ancestors were eaten by cats. Yeah. They yeah. were eaten. 
and by wolves and those kind of things. So we're, we're afraid of fangs and things in the dark when mm-hmm. you can't see them coming. You can't protect yourself. Yeah. Crazy. 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 It's in there. It's in the DNA. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there's so much stuff like that that just we don't understand anything. Have you ever met someone that has like a legit phobia, like aphidiophobia or arachnophobia, like fear of snakes or spiders? I know that I have. I'm trying to think of who that was. But yeah, it's like, where did that come from? It's DNA, man. I guarantee. I've, I've seen it on Fear Factor. We had a few people yeah. that had a legit fear of snakes and spiders. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God. You see their whole body was shaking yeah. and they were trying like, hey, these aren't even fucking poisonous. Yeah. Like, these are just snakes. Mm-hmm. But there's something about snakes, like someone they love or their, someone in their ancestry or some, someone survived a snake attack, something. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. Well, like, and like so much of that is, is realizing how little like control we have over everything, like how we raise our children or how we uh, interact with people and like what does and doesn't affect us. And like h- the fact that any of this works in any remote way is, is insanity. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. We think it makes sense because it's normal to us, but if we really take a step back and like think about it. Like, this is nuts. Everything's nuts. nuts. This life is nuts. And, you know, like, sitting here with you is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're talking about, like, like, like some of the people you've met through this. And, like, you're like, how did I get here? And, like, what is this? Like, yeah, I feel that way, too. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what did I do to get here? Like, this is weird. What did I do to get here? Yeah. I think yeah. I really believe in some strange way that this thing made me do this yeah that this podcast like almost like the universe made me do this yeah and it sounds like so pretentious but i'm just being honest i feel like almost like this thing has a life of its own and a mind of its own and it tricked me yeah it tricked me and 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 it played on my obsessive mind Mm -hmm. just keep doing it keep doing it maybe you get better at this hey keep doing it bring on other people keep doing it keep doing it and through this Untold millions of people have been exposed yeah. to all these different. We've had three billion downloads over the course of ten years. So Crazy. I don't know how many people that is, yeah. how many individuals, but it's a fuckload. So all of these different people have come on and expressed all these different ideas, and so many different people are hearing them yeah. in their earbuds, whether in traffic or when they're at the gym, and all these ideas percolate inside people's brains and that it gives them different perspectives and that it makes them maybe explore things. Maybe I'm going to try jujitsu. Maybe I'm going to try yoga. Maybe I'm going to try eating better. Maybe I'm going to try doing this. And through all that, you see a shift in the culture of the human beings that that have been in that have been affected by all these people's conversations. Yeah. And for me, it feels like I just, I'm getting sucked into being here. Yeah. Like I'm like, okay. And then also like me getting better at it is just me. It's like it showing me how to extract better information and get out of my fucking way. Mm -hmm. Don't ruin it and make it better for the people that are listening. Yeah. It's really what it feels like. Uh Uh-huh. That's, that's I know it's crazy. crazy. It's cra- even it's saying crazy. it sounds like hippie bullshit. Well, and you think about like why are we attracted to certain things, certain people, certain. Sometimes we're attracted to people that doesn't make any fucking sense. Be like everything you do and say and make me feel is like everything opposite of what I really want. And but but I'm attracted to you and like these things yeah. like like bring a certain thing out of me. Yeah, like develop me in a certain way and where nobody else could do that. Like you, this person does that for me for some reason, or this action, this sport, this thing. Like, why am I drawn to right, that? Right, right, right. Like, I, I shouldn't be. Like, it's 
fucking horrible and like it hurts and, and like all of these <laughs> all of these things that doesn't make any sense at all but nothing makes any sense at all and like it doesn't make any sense and like that i think that's why it's so vital to follow your heart and follow the things you feel because everything else like nobody knows what the fuck is going on like nobody can tell you what you should do or no. shouldn't do to be successful or to be happy or to be all these things like you mm. gotta listen to what's inside of you yeah I mean, you could be wrong. You could listen to what inside inside of you, and you could be wrong. But you have to learn how to like decipher that voice better. Yeah. Like I've been wrong about things that I thought I wanted, and then, yeah. and then you go, oh, "Okay, this is why I was wrong. I was delu delusional, or I was mm. kidding myself, or, or fixated on yeah. the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, or I was thinking that this thing was going to bring me some sort of peace. So it was going to bring me some sort of uh, some some sort of just normalcy yeah. you know and then it doesn't happen so you go all right well i guess there is no normalcy <laughs> <laughs> nothing is normal everything's crazy we're all nuts yeah nobody knows what's going on all those things that should be a t-shirt yeah nothing is normal everything is crazy no one knows, no what's, one going knows on. what's going on <laughs> at all the sooner we realize that the, the better we'll be like we're all in the loony loony yeah bin. yeah it will definitely be easier. That's why I'm I'm always scared of drugs that make people confident. Mm. My favorite drug is marijuana because it does the opposite of making me confident. Mm -hmm. It makes me paranoid. It makes yeah. me it makes me compassionate and it makes me also like going, "Jeez, this is crazy." Yeah. Like that's why I like it. Yeah. I like it because I think the drugs that make you like we sh we should all be a little less confident. Yeah. You know, we we need each other a lot more than we like to pretend and this life is like this temporary thing that we're going through. We have a certain amount of heartbeats and uh, then who knows. The yeah. the lights go out and hopefully we go to a better place, but <sighs> Yeah. Well, no. I think the thing it does too is it, it strips that that veil away, like that veil of uh, feeling like everything's in balance and normal, and you know, life is like this is life. Like life is fucking weird, man. Weird, super weird, super weird. We, we distract ourselves with normalcy and habits, but take a step back and like this is nuts. This is all nuts, and we pretend like it's normal and it's cool, and everyone's like in agreement that like we all know what's going on. I don't know what the fuck's going on. We're all living in a spaceship flying through the atmosphere. Yeah. We're all tripping balls over here. We're just, <laughs> we're just all doing it, so it feels normal. But we can find some moments of comfort and happiness in the chaos, and that's what we're, we're all seeking. Yeah. You know, we're all seeking these moments of comfort and happiness and camaraderie and, and friendship. You know, we're all seeking love, too. We're all seeking the, the good feelings. Yeah. But you got to get through the shitty ones to even yeah. appreciate the good feelings. It's a catch-22. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But just understand that. You need you need the good and the bad. Yeah. You don't know what good is unless you have bad. Yeah. It has to be that way. So we're, we're getting towards 3 o'clock here. We're almost going to wrap this thing up. All right. Um, what are you uh, doing now in terms of your career? You're still fighting for Bellator. Yeah, yeah. So Bellator uh, kickboxing, which I'm very, I'm very thankful that they have that still. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a gigantic fan of kickboxing in Muay Thai, and it's always perplexed me why it hasn't caught hold in America more than it has. And yeah, which just, is something we could talk about for hours. Yeah, but, I'm uh, very thankful that Paramount Network is still uh, invested. Yeah, huge shout out to Scott Coker. Is one of the Scott Coker. most amazing uh, shout promoters out to Scott. there is. And uh, they got that big fight this weekend with Julie Budd and Cyborg. 
which is cool. Um, but yeah, I'm still fighting for them. I don't have anything on the books right now. I'm waiting like I always have been since the beginning of time. Um, you know, it's something you think is going to change. Like eventually I'm going to have all these fights lined up and mm-hmm. like, I've never known when the next one is and certainly not when the next one is after that. But um, yeah, I'm hoping something will come up and, you know, as far as how long I'm going to keep doing this, I, I don't know, man. I could be done today. Maybe I'll decide I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. But um, I think I've always had a healthy understanding of that. Like fighting is what I do and I will always be a fighter, but this isn't it for me. Like I have so many things that I do in my life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. Like I said, I'm working on my autobiography right now. I've written two books so far. I'm an artist. I paint, I draw play the piano a little bit um i speak you know i'm i'm I'm, uh, a renaissance man do you think you'll be more invested in art when you're done i don't know you know i think um i'll definitely have more time to do it you know as far as how much i'll do it as a career i don't know you know for me art has always been something that uh i do it because i love to do it if it starts becoming a job where it's like you need to do this or you need to do that i think that would make me lose a lot of love for it yeah you know that, that like that, that most balance. things yeah. yeah so but i think you can get through that without it becoming a job i think that's a perspective because at the end of the yeah. day it's still art yes like just because you have to do it for a job like like what does that mean mm-hmm. just do it yeah you know what i mean like if you think oh i have to do art now now it's a job it's like you know the the, the expression marrying your mistress well, I think you can just do art. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just be obsessed with it like you are if it's not a job. Yeah. And then the other parts just sort of take care of itself. Yeah. Well, I th- like everything I do, I feel is artistic expressions, you know, of my fighting, my actual art. Sure. Uh, my writings and those kinds of things. But uh, I don't think I'll ever be like have be stuck on a, a job or one thing you know because i'm just too interested in too many different things you know i think i'll always be balancing many different aspects and certain times i'll be more focused on one thing like my fighting obviously that's a f- very finite timeline on that uh, but once that's done you know it's going to shift and i think it will always be that way to to one extent or another i will be always be doing a multitude of things and exploring and developing and learning and um yeah i'm a, like i said i'm a seeker i love it well when you're done and you want to do something else come back in here and talk to us I, and tell I, us what's up i would love to man this has been really great my pleasure brother always i appreciate you man thank you man i appreciate kevin you. ross ladies and gentlemen thank you goodbye That was great. Thank you, man. That was really good.